Hello, everyone, and welcome to the March 10, 2021 episode of Weekly Manga Recap. I am Nick, here along with Chris, and we are going to be talking about a thing today. But uh, we might, be talking about, might be talking about more than one thing. I'm good, Nick. How are you? I'm all right. I've been having a really good week. That's so. excellent. Well, hey, you're not the only one who's in for some good news. Now, those of you who are listening right now will probably maybe know about this, and those of you who are watching it on YouTube will obviously now know that Weekly Manga Recap episodes are being uh, posted to YouTube again. Uh, before I say anything, I want to say it's entirely all big thanks to Ninja X3i, who puts together the spreadsheet. He's taking initiative to start putting the episodes together, and episodes are going to be coming out. So all the new episodes will be going up on there. All the episodes that we've recorded thus far in 2021 are going to be coming out basically in a two-day apart schedule. So basically every other day a new episode will be out, and it will be caught up by the end of March. Uh, and then all of the episodes from 2019 and 2020 will go up, but we're probably going to put those Asterisk. up. <laughs> yeah, we're going to. Well, yeah, there's also a couple episodes we don't have recordings for anymore. Uh, but I think 98% of them we do. Uh, and th yeah, those ones are going to go up essentially privately, not privately, but like not going to like push them out. If that makes sense. I think there's like a stealth way to publish and we're going to do that essentially. That way people don't get inundated with like. Mm -hmm. 120 new episodes of the podcast or something like that so yeah you can go check it out there it's also a great place to check out the uh animated title opening at wensleydale cheddar wensleydale cheddar and milo jack still it's put together for us so go check it out there and uh again just a humongous uh thanks to ninja x3i for doing it because yeah. you know it sucks youtube's awful yeah and it was a thing that like you know <laughs> Once we had stopped doing it for a while, it seemed like we just weren't ever going to go back to it. <laughs> well, it's because I didn't look. I don't know how to explain to people how I'm an idiot and how I, I've bumbled my way into being a professional podcaster for 12 years now or whatever. And never at any point had any of the skills. So I legitimately I was like, there's no way to edit videos for cheap. I don't want to pay for Adobe every 50 bucks every month to like do like five minutes of editing and then like four hours of fucking rendering for something that'll fail half the time. And then Ninja was just like, I don't know. I found like some free program that was already installed on my computer. To, <laughs> I, could do, I could do it really easy. I'm like, oh, well, now I look like a fucking idiot. Idiot. so uh you know thanks for that <laughs> thanks to infamous or uh, to ninja for that so i think the people don't realize how long we've actually been doing this show in the sense that that kind of software is just much more common to get on the cheap obviously you can get much better programs if you uh shell out the money for a license for adobe like you said or some of the other programs uh when i started doing videos again it was because i managed to get uh, a version of Sony Vegas yeah. that was on sale through Humble Bundle at the time. So I paid like 30 bucks for it and also a bunch of other programs as well. Yeah. Um, but for a while, like it was a matter of like you couldn't like edit together videos easily with easy to find uh, cheap programs. Uh, and since the advent of, you know, like everyone can record something on their phone and everyone wants to be able to quickly record and edit something, a lot more software has come come out that just comes on devices that will allow you to edit stuff. Uh -huh. uh, so I think that by virtue of the fact that we've been doing this show for this long, 
yes, we had the impression that that was not an option. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, this is legitimately now the uh, the decade year of Riku Monk mm-hmm. Recap. We've been doing this now just short of 10 years. So we're like two months away from it. So, yeah, it's it's a. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> And one piece is still going, you know. It'll yeah. it'll it'll outlive us all. So the one series. Well, and also we talked about Skip Beat on like our second episode, and that's still going. Yeah, I just made that tweet recently where I was like, "Holy shit!" Twit. Like I knew Skip Beat was still running, but seeing like the Viz tweet, like Volume Forty Five is out. I'm like, "Yeah, what the fuck?" We we talked for like felt like an hour about Skip Beat at the time. What the mm-hmm. fuck has happened in the decade Lord. since? How has she still not, like, gotten together with somebody? What's going on? Speaking of teenagers that won't confess, uh-huh. Kaguya-sama Love is War is the recommendation we're taking a look at this week. Kaguya-sama wa Kokura Setai Tensai Tachi no Zunosen. And I can't believe I actually managed to pronounce that as accurately as I did, and I think I did an okay job. It's a romantic comedy manga by Aka Akasaka. Uh, it's been running since 2015 uh, and since 2016 in Weekly Young Jump, a seinen magazine by, of course, Shueisha. And uh, it's available in English through Viz. Uh, this is a romantic comedy series. It's set in high school. Uh, it follows the exploits of a student council, the, you know, the people who are in charge of, like, the student body and stuff. Huh. Uh our protagonist is Kaguya Shinomiya, who is the vice president of the student council. She comes from an elite family. She's, you know, kind of held up as perfect in every way. And the president of the, of the student council is Miyuki Shirogane. The school that they attend, I think it's Shuchin. Shuchin is, is how you pronounce it. It's a school for the elites. Uh, a lot of, like, famous people's children attend there. Uh, Shirogane is an exception to that because he comes from a poor family and he's a scholarship brat. Um, and the two of them have an attraction towards each other that has developed over the course of the few months that they've known each other uh, prior to uh, when the series begins. But neither of them wants to confess to the other because they are uber competitive and there is this thought that love is war and confession is conceding. If you are the first person to confess their, your feelings, then the other person will get to control the relationship from there on out. And so neither of them wants to, uh, both of them want to be together, but neither of them wants to admit to the other that they want to be together because that is seeding uh, an advantage in this kind of struggle between them, this rivalry that they also share. And the series is about them uh, dealing with the fact that they have feelings for each other in, for the most part, a very comedic manner uh, as they keep on having these small exchanges, which are always framed as if they're, you know, tactical uh, chess matches between them uh, that sometimes get complicated by the other members of the student body, especially the members of the student council. And uh, but over time, their relationship also changes a bit. Mm-hmm. So that is the series that we that we've looked into. Um, I think that the easiest thing I can say to sum this up is if you like uh, fools in love being idiots, you will probably like this series. If you are if I told you the premise of like, I oh, I love it when people are cutesy and stupid around each other. 
I think that you will probably like this manga. Uh, if you read a few chapters, no, I would, I would stress that I think that it gets better over time. But if you read the first few chapters and you're like, okay, I think I'm kind of into it, then I would say, yeah, probably keep reading it and you'll probably like it. Um, if you're not into that type, kind of series, um, I think it still might surprise you. Okay. But uh, I don't know. So I was really waiting for like the bait and switch in there for you to be like, all right, now. So this series sucks and our Discord is idiots or something like that. Because uh, this is a no. super popular series in our Discord. Uh, and I think everywhere. I think this is like this is one of those series that I realized afterwards, like, oh, I've been seeing memes from this series for a while now. I just didn't realize that that sort of thing. Um, so comedies are always a, a, a difficult thing, especially long running comedies. Um, it's particularly a challenge in the way we do the podcast because it is general. I like I say it, and then I, I like. So generally, the, the like the worst way to consume comedy is in a marathon one after the other because it doesn't like leave any time for anything to like kind of sit and dwell and kind of gets very grating. But I say that there are people who will literally their entire day is just watching The Office over and over again. So maybe once you find a thing you love, it's nonstop. Uh, and I know some people here have said that once they started Kaguya-sama, uh, they could not stop it because it was just too funny. Uh, I will say that part of the reason why it took like a month for us to get this review out uh at least on my end is that it was very difficult for me to read this series in particularly long chunks uh because it can become it's very funny but it can also be a very exhausting series to read in large chunks so i generally would like get through like three volumes and then I'd be like, I, I need to take a break from this. I cannot pick this back up right now. Because if I have to read another fucking comedy chapter where the two of them like find like, oh, well, one of them wore earbuds and the other one of them has to stick earbuds in their ear. But they can't, you know, they don't want to say that they're listening to the same music the other one likes. Or, like the, the, the premise is garbage. I'm going to be outright straight with that. This premise sucks. It's it's it doesn't make sense. And it is not particularly well constructed, and it's the worst part of the first like couple of volumes because it's just one of those things where like I don't understand. Like I get it, the will they won't they? They both want to. It's a funny premise. They just don't want to admit it. But the idea of like, well, whoever admits it first will be the submissive in the relationship or the lesser in the relationship, <laughs> and it's sort of odd. It's intentionally dumb because. All of the evidence of the series refutes it. There's a very established er like couple early on who does not have that dynamic in any way, shape, or form. Mm -hmm. and it all makes sense because this is a student council, the smartest people, who also happen to be the biggest, dumbest idiots in the world. Like, they, These are the stupidest children I have ever seen in my life, and that's where a lot of the actual comedy comes from. Um, it's That's the part I think is actually really rewarding to follow is... These people are dumb. They're all really, really dumb. And they keep finding ways to surprise you with just how dumb they are. It's rarely ever the, 
oh, they're they're gonna do a, a, a back and forth battle to see who could maybe get one to reveal they might have feelings mm-hmm. for the other. It's way funnier to just see a chapter where Shinomiya is busy, you know, holding herself prim and proper, and then Chika just finds out as she says the word wiener, Shinomiya will like burst out laughing. She's just yeah. like, no, I'm this prim proper noble. I can't wiener. And she's like, oh shit, I can't hold like shit like that's funny. Like it's just they're they're all just very simple, dumb people when you get right down to it. There is a line in this chapter where Kaguya has come under the impression that if a man wears uh, boxers, then that makes them uh, lewd. Well, boxer uh, briefs. Boxer briefs. Because briefs are and for so... briefs are for losers. Boxers are what regular men would wear, and then boxer briefs are for quote man whores. Yeah. So she's trying to figure out what kind of underwear Shiragani wears, but she's trying to think of it. And she's immediately, you know, realizing like, how do I ask him this without coming off like a massive perverted weirdo? Because it's important that I know this information, but I'm not doing it for sexual reasons. So she literally is like, they're sitting there thinking to herself, like, isn't there some non-perverted logical way of seeing his underwear? So, yeah, that's they do. It's really when it breaks down to the very small things like that, that they that and they're not contextualized in the sense of, ah, but it was a gambit by this person. They were trying to outsmart this character when it just breaks down to like and it kind of loses all pretense. And it's just like these kids are idiots. Mm. They're very smart, but they're very socially inexperienced and very sheltered in Kaguya's case. So in that sense, they're idiots. And that and so we can let them be look like idiots in that sense. That's when I it's... think it's as actually its funniest. But I had a problem that was I didn't have the same problem you did in terms of I couldn't read this for a while. But the reason I was able to read it for long stretches was because whenever the narration would go bang topic it is a thing that is a, and it just goes on like establishing why this is a conflict for three pages of flip 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 <laughs> don't care don't care get to the actual funny stuff see i had a very similar thing i was able to get through a lot of chapters because i just skipped all of the maki chapters uh Aww. every chapter opens up with like like the titles like so and so needs this uh like you know uh Kaguya Shinomiya wants to see the world or whatever. Anytime it said Mako Ino, I just immediately was like, we could just skip this one. Just flip, flip, flip. We're done. Nothing, nothing to salvage here. She doesn't show up until a little ways into it, too. I know. And I gave the first like handful of her chapters a real chance, and I was greatly disappointed for doing that. Yeah, she's uh so aside from Kaguya and Shiragane, there's three other members of the student council. So there's Chika, who's there from the very beginning. She's the very bright, peppy, kind of airheaded girl. Uh, she, you know, does a lot of things without thinking, which, of course, you know, throws wrenches into Shiragane and Kaguya's plots against each other. And also, she's just strange. Like, you know, she's the character that's most likely to say something that's completely unexpected, given what you know about her. She'll be, like, super into, like, really gory stuff one one chapter and then it'll never be brought up again for example Mm. uh then there's ishigami who is the one underclassman uh on the council to start with and he's just kind of like he's like 
an internet loser, basically. He starts as the incel. And then, and I feel like every series with a comedic bend has done this and then realizes, like, this isn't, like, a Mm -hmm. fun... They pull back a little bit. He stops being as much. But he is definitely one of the ones who keeps as much of it as I've seen as a part of him, but just removes, like... He's, yeah, he's just very... He goes from being, like, actively kind of, like... negative towards women to just being very antisocial in general mm. still having a lot of like kind of toxic masculine traits but not yes. actively being like as like rough around the edges as he was at the start yeah they really lean into like he'll just say you know very upfront i hate women stuff honestly um it's for comic effect because like he he's never portrayed as being right but i think that the series assumes he's funnier than he actually is and yeah once he softens down and just kind of instead retains more of the just general internet edgelord stuff instead for comic effect it's a lot easier to to (laughs) feel sympathy for him Uh when you're supposed to at least um my favorite character is hayasaka uh kaki is maid slash best friend uh because she's like the observer to she's like the only confidant that kaki has when she's talking about like i want shiragane to confess to me because i want to be with him and be together but i can't confess to him because that are you kidding me that's not the proper thing to do so she'll just like she she's so done with this shit by the time that we pick up with with her so Kage is like, what if I do this? And she's like, oh my god, just fucking get, ask him out, ask him out. Just wh- what are you doing? You're such, you're overcomplicating this. You're such an idiot. And I, I had two minds of Hayasaka because the first, I absolutely agree with you. She's probably like the funniest character in a sense that she has no tolerance for this shit. But then I started to turn on her because volume after fucking volume come by and they still don't do anything so the point of her being like just fuck already is almost become a meta thing of me being like shut up series you know you are just a mouthpiece for this point and you can change it any goddamn time so there was that level uh but i still i like her character chapters probably some of the best um Uh, I, i think she has some really emotional good stuff in there to there there's one exchange that she has with kaguya where because Kagi is very naive about a lot of things because she's from this very rich family. And at first it's just to kind of portray her as like the ice queen kind of, kind of thing. And then comedically twist that in terms of, Oh, but she, you know, is secretly, you know, a goo, 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 gaga head over heels in love for this boy. And she has no idea how to deal with it. Um, over time it is used more for dramatic effect because, because she's from this very proper family, she was never allowed to have friends. She was mm-hmm. never allowed to go to clubs and go hang out with friends and stuff like that because it's an improper thing for someone of her stature to do. Um, but it's still played for comedic effect that she's still naive about a lot of stuff. So there's one bit where uh, Shiragane is going to go to a mixer with with some friends. And Hi- Kagi is talking about it with Hayasaka. And she's like, oh, my God, that's where they, like, hook up and have orgies and stuff, isn't it? And Hayasaka says out loud, it would be a pain to correct you. So, yes, you're right. (laughs) She just says it out loud. So I do really like I really do like her. 
Um, but I do understand where you're coming from because it takes a while for things to actually get to a point where you where you see new progression. Although I will say, to this series' credit, even if I hated this manga, it does one thing that I always hold up as the standard of any will-they-won't-they they relationship uh, portrayed in fiction, which is eventually they resolve that situation and then move on from the will-they-won't-they they and do other stuff. Mm. So... Full credit there. I appreciate that. I won't say exactly how it goes because it's pretty far into the series. It's like three years into the publication, more. I was going to say, I, so I read up through the Culture Festival arc, which that's sort of a big turning point in everything's relationship. And that was 14 volumes into the series. Mm -hmm. So that's pretty deep. I mean, that's, you know, I think there's what, 19 volumes total of the series thus far, 18 officially translated. 18 have been released in English, yes. Also, by the way, on that point, um, you know, obviously, with the way we do this podcast, we always encourage you to go see, read the official releases. This series, maybe more than anything, please read the official release. I looked at a couple of, like, the fan versions. It is almost unreadable. I don't know what they're doing. It, it, it's horrendous. It, uh, it's, like, I was trying to find, it's like that old meme of just, like, a shit ton of different word font arts of just, like, the most distracting, obnoxious quality. Everything has to be its own crazy font. So, yeah, go go definitely grab the official releases for that one. Uh, to the series, though, itself, I, at first, did, I, I was of the mindset of, like, this is fine, but generally, I'm not crazy on it. Maybe it's just a little overhyped. Things like that. Um, but there was one moment that I could specifically recall where I was like, okay, this is where the series is turning around. And it's, I think, maybe the first time they do like a two-parter. But there's this whole premise. Uh, they have to go to town to buy things for this big festival. And Shirogane and Shinomiya are tasked to go shopping together. So that night... Uh, they, you know, the whole nonsense is happening. And she, uh, Shinomi is like, oh, I'll go call him right now. And Shiragani picks up and he's in the bathtub. And she's like, oh, what do you, I didn't realize you're in the bathtub. He's like, don't worry, my phone's waterproof. She's like, that's not the issue here, whatever. <laughs> Eventually, they they kind of like meet a, meet a point where they're like, all right, well, she just kind of hangs up before he can say something, he texts her. And then the plan is like, hey, that, tomorrow we're going to go out together. It's going to be basically like our first date. And then it cuts to the next day, and it's pouring rainy. Just a, just a massive deluge. And uh, Shinomiya is, like, talking to Hayasaka, just like, I gotta go, though. He's gonna be waiting for me. She's like, there's no way he's waiting for you. We bought everything ahead of time. Just cancel. So she's bummed, but she's like, all right, she cancels it. And it cuts over to Shiragane, and he's out in the rain. You can see his umbrella is shot up, and he's just like, oh, she's not coming. But that's okay. My phone's waterproof. And like that was the moment I was almost like that. I was like, all right, shit, you got me there. Like, that line of <laughs> the, the payback of my phone is waterproof. Why <laughs> fucking hit me in such a strong way? It's weird because for most of it is such a silly series. There is an entire chapter dedicated to after a festival that they've run chica has gra grabbed one of the used balloons and so they decide to play a game together where they essentially do bowser's big blast it's you know that thing that you see in a lot of different things where it's like okay we've got this this hand pump or this bicycle pump basically and so we're going to take turns pumping it up 
there's all these little jokes about them as they're like, you know, trying not to uh, blow up this balloon. My favorite joke in it is that uh, it's Shirogani's turn and it's very clear that like only one or two more pumps is going to make this thing burst. It's either going to be him or Kage who's right after him if it doesn't explode on him. And so Shirogani looks at her and he sees that she's terrified because she's very bad with like, you know, loud noise and stuff like that. And we get this dramatic narration that's like Shirogane thought back to something important that his father told him. His father said, if your friends are ever in danger or the woman you love is in danger, do whatever you must to protect her. And she, and so Shirogane completely disregarded that. Okay, your turn. <laughs> it's I, I there are a few times when I'm reading a manga and I will actually just bust out laughing. And that one really got me. The pacing and of the delirium of the joke is so, so good. And it's such a silly joke. But then at the same time, the characters, you do really feel sympathetic for them at different points. Uh, Kaguya, like whenever she's like really happy or really sad, uh, which is a lot of different times. You feel that way for her. Um, Ishigami gets like a very sad, but, re- but like realistic backstory of like, oh, there was a misunderstanding. And since he was just a weirdo, everyone took someone else's side against him at school and he nearly dropped out of school because of it. And the only, the reason he's part of the student council is because they basically saved him and stuff. Um, and I kind of overall get like a little bit of a sket dance vibe from this, not just because it's a group of pe- of kids that, you know, are, are have silly one off adventures and stuff. But in terms of because you go on those silly little one off adventures with them, you get a feeling you get a sense of the characters in a light setting. And then when it comes time to do a dramatic thing with them, you've grown to relate to them already. And so you feel more of the effects of that. I think that Kaguya Sama. Uh, balances the two much better and then once the dramatic stuff is done you go back to the silly stuff and it will make fun of all the dramatic turns and development that the characters have gone through and use them for comedy again so it kind of takes you know the it it, kind of takes the stuffing out of itself in or for comic effect yeah well i think it helps a lot that the cast is genuinely pretty likable for the most part as I said, most of the negative character traits kind of get pushed to the side or helps to flesh out, like, flawed characters more than anything else. So, like, Shiragane, we very quickly kind of come to understand that he is genuinely just an extremely good person. Like, that's kind of the quality that people seem to like the most. So, there's just moments in the series where you kind of admire it. I, I, I think one of the ones... I enjoyed the most was the it was after that that little group date with Hayasaka. Hayasaka has this big thing about like I can't show my true identity. No one can. Like even babies know to hide the parts of themselves that are weak because people will go after you for it. And then it ends with a joke about how uh Shirogane can't rap. He's a, he's just a terrible rapper. It's kind of a running joke throughout the series. He's bad about everything. Um and then a couple chapters later Shirogane goes to Chika and is like, "Hey, I need you to help me learn to rap. And the reason for like, because it's it's a dumb joke to basically be like, hey, look at these kids. They're going to rap. This is wacky. Um, but the actual intention behind it is Shirogane wants to do this rap 
because he knows it's bad. He knows he is bad at rapping, but he has a passion for it, and he doesn't want to hide his weakness because he wants to show uh, Hayasaka that she doesn't need to hide any part of herself either. He believes people can be their true selves and be respected. So it's actually, like, I didn't even find that entire sequence to be particularly funny, but it's still really enjoyable because it's such a genuine moment with the two of them. And I, I, I really, I, I just like those little moments there. Yeah, I think that that's really what it comes down to is there. That's kind of the point of the manga is if you play games and you're hiding yourself and stuff like that, you're just kind of delaying your chance to be happy. And when, you know, characters are upfront about stuff. Yeah, sometimes it doesn't go your way. But like there's that lesson in there in the couple that is established early on in the series. One of them just took action and they have a relationship that is for the most part happy. And every time that trouble comes up in it, it's because one of them isn't fucking talking to the other. And so they need to learn to just do that. And the fact that it's, you know, using young people to do that is, you know, and I it's it makes sense that they're all experiencing that. You never think, oh, what a bunch of idiots. You think like, oh, stupid kids. They're learning how to actually be adults and how to just talk to to each other, communicate. Um, I think one of my favorite early chapters, relatively early chapters, is um, the stargazing one that they have where uh, it's one of the first big ones where Shirogane and Kaguya start to actually like, you know, show that they really like each other to each other. Um because they go out, uh, the student council goes up on the roof to like stargaze and stuff. And Kaguya is trying to think to herself like, oh, I'll manipulate a situation so that he'll like, you know, try and get close to me and stuff. And Shirogane is just so enraptured by the stars and the moon that he's letting his guard down. And he's just mm. naturally doing the things that she wants him to do as part of her scheme. And he tells her about the story of uh, the princess Kaguya. And... Uh, He's, he's he says like um Kaguya you know left behind this elixir that would have let her love experience immortal life when she went away to the moon and he couldn't deal with her not being there so he burned the elixir and so he died before she could return from the moon and like an arrow yes exactly <laughs> And Arrow shows up in this series. <laughs> oh, fuck. He's the shadow in this series and in One Piece. That's cool. Why not? So he says afterwards, like, I think that what's really sad about it is that what I, what I believe is that Kaguya wanted him to drink it because it was a message from her that if you live long enough, I'll come back and then we can spend the rest of our eternal lives together. And he didn't understand that. So I think it's sad. And he then says, "I if it were me. I would never let go of Kaguya, not even thinking about the fact that, you know, Kaguya that he's in love with is right there. But it's like, you know, you let out those very sweet, poetic emotions and stuff like that. And yes, a lot of the time they're very cheesy. This manga does not hold back that some of the grand gestures that eventually they do in order to try and get the other to fall in love with them are cheesy and stupid, but they're genuine. And that's what's so wonderful about them. Yeah, uh, I will say, so we, we talked a lot about the comedy, and we're starting to talk now about the romance of it. And I will say, the romance in this series, or the emotion it pulls out, is the thing that would make me recommend this to people. I think the jokes are there, and they're funny, um, but the moments where the series just kind of has a moment, it, it, it can tell very beautiful stories, and 
Like, I mean that in, like, the truest sense. I've mentioned many times in the show that I actually really do like romances. And there's moments in this that blew me away. So, like, one of the big ones at the start, this is, I guess, technically spoilers at this point, but it's a comedy romance series. So, I don't know. They probably get together or they die. One of the other is probably going to happen in this series, guys. Well, um, I mean, we've also read series where that they just don't get together but okay yeah but that happens that happens at the very end though you know and then presumably they die after that unless they're immortal in which case sequel series but there's there's a (laughs) a plot early on about like summer happens and they want to hang out but they can't like it just keeps crashing and eventually kaguya the only thing she wants is to see the fireworks she just wants to see the fireworks with everybody and eventually you get this big thing of essentially everybody in the series working together to get her because her, her parents have forbid her from being out at the fireworks. Cause she could potentially get targeted and kidnapped or, you know, something like that. So everyone works together to get her out of the place. And at that point, the fireworks have already gone off. So they're like, well, we missed it. And they're like, wait, no, this prefecture hasn't set theirs off yet. So we're going to head all the way over there. We're going to pay for a taxi cab and everything else like that. And it has this absurd, like Shirogani is the one leading his charge, and it has this absurdly beautiful moment where they make it out of the tunnel and they're looking at the fireworks. And Kaguya just says, I am so, I thank you all so much for, for helping me get this far. And I'm so sorry, but even though the fireworks are right there, I cannot turn away. And she's just looking at Shirogani in pure love. And it was a moment I, I, I audibly was like, oh. <laughs> Like, it really got me. It was such a great moment. It got me too. It's 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 so lovely because, you know, you think even when you are like, oh, she's not going to just be sad. You know, that can't be how this ends. And then there, but you think that like the big romantic thing is just Shiragane finding her and leading her off to see the fireworks again. But then it does that. And it's just like, God, that's so much better. Yeah. That you built up this romantic idea in her head but she just loves this boy even more than this ideal that she had in her head. And that makes, honestly, I think that was the moment that I, that I did really believe like, Oh, it's not just like, Oh, here's a love story, but actually like, Oh no, these kids actually do fucking love each other. Yeah. And you can see why it's not just a, they're the leads in this romantic comedy and thus they get together. You actually do see why they would kind of like each other. I mean, they talk about it like, once or twice a volume somehow either unknowingly or by, by being tricked or they're mm-hmm. drugged or something something happens with their view their two things but yeah they they legitimately do and even beyond that they're also like the student council all the comedy chapters help to really create that there is this bond so another one of the chapters i i found myself absolutely loving is it's a joke early on kaguya has a phone and it's like an old school flip phone and she only has it because it's there for emergencies. And eventually they st- it just starts commenting to the fact that she's taken a bunch of pictures with it and they're very treasured. And like the end of a chapter is she drops her phone and it breaks. And because it's this old phone, there's no cloud storage. All those photos are just gone and she's devastated. And it's this weirdly, it was almost kind of exciting because she's so depressed about it. She can't put up the front of the game anymore like she doesn't go along with it and everyone kind of realizes like this is weird like she eventually buys a new phone and like this sucks you know she lost all these photos she's like i had so little and it's gone now and then shiragane is like oh you got a new phone i was w-, like he doesn't say it he's like oh i'll create a student council group now online 
Uh, and then like Hayasaka's like, he's been wanting to do that for a while, but because you couldn't have line on your old phone, he's waited. And immediately everyone's like, oh, hey, let's share all these pictures. And suddenly she gets hundreds and hundreds of pictures of everyone together. And it was legitimately, I, I almost considered after reading the chapter being like, done. I don't need to read any more with this. <laughs> it was such a great way to end the series off on because it's such a, like an exciting moment, basically, of like, what a sweet moment for everybody to like get together. I, I really, really enjoyed it. Yeah, it's um, I think that you're you've hit off and like those are the moments that I enjoy the most. And I think that they're probably better than the comedy in general, because there's so much more comedy than uh, dramatic stuff. Um, and I feel like the dramatic stuff hits almost 100 percent of the time. Um but the comedy stuff is a little bit less uh, reliable in terms of like, OK, I'm not I don't always laugh at all this stuff, but there is some very funny stuff in it, too. Um, I like the. Um, I think that there's one ch one chapter that I really like where. Um, Shirogane, like it's it's after the student council is like out of uh, it. it it's kind of like in between the student council existences uh, between their school years. So Shiragane is able to get more sleep. And when he gets to school, his eyes aren't all squinty and starey anymore. He looks a lot less harsh and severe. And it turns out that Kaguya has a fetish for his, his disapproving glares and stuff. So um, everyone is like, oh, you look so much you know, nicer and, and stuff. And she's like, yeah, he was all right. Yeah, you look okay, you know, whatever. He's like even trying to seduce her with her his new bright eyes, and she's like, eh. <laughs> so, so I like, so I mean, I think that there is, like I said at the top, if we talk about the premise, and you're like, that's the kind of stuff I'm into. I think you'll really, really like this stuff. If you are open to the idea of romantic comedies, I think at all. I think that you will find that the dramatic romantic stuff is very nice. Um, I think that this is a series that is well-deserving of its popularity in general. I think that uh, a couple years ago, it was like one of the top 10 best-selling manga uh, overall. Um, so it's doing very well, and uh, I'm glad for that. Uh, this is a series that I didn't read 100% of it before we gathered to talk about it today, but uh, I am pretty sure I'm going to read the rest of it because I have been enjoying the experience of reading it. So, very good. I will not. Uh, if this was a series in weekly Shonen Jump that we could read on a weekly basis, I think that'd be great, but I I don't particularly have much of an interest in continuing to follow it. Um, but I am very glad it exists and, you know, I think it's super cool. So, there's all that, but. Um, I don't know. I don't know what the, the butt at the end of that is, but uh, everything but. comes to an end one day, and thus so has our review of Kaguya-sama. <laughs> and uh, this review of the series did not end with the characters getting together, therefore they're dead now, uh, I believe, according to your first Yes, uh, they, did not, logic, they so. did not get together, so I believe they are dead. Unless, again, at the end of it, much like Freddy vs. Jason, uh, Shirogane emerges from the water holding Kaguya's head, and you believe Shirogane is the victor, but then Kaguya's eye winks, and you're like, well, maybe not. He has to go to sleep at some point. So... <laughs> Who knows? There really might be no winner here. 
Also, by the way, for the people there, Miko sucks. I don't care if how much better she gets later on. She's fucking garbage. All of you people were just like, she's best girl. Best. No, she's fucking garbage. The point I was at, she's fucking female love interest for you to get with. That is the only thing she exists to serve. She has zero character beyond make the school great again. So I'm sorry. She's fucking garbage. I don't really like her that much. There either, you go. Honestly. I like her friend a lot better, uh, her tall glasses friend who's just incredibly blunt and matter of fact about everything she says. But uh, her, no, nah, she's she's kind of annoying. So. People are like she gets amazing. Imagine if you were the fucking, you're a fucking comedy fucking sitcom, like fucking Modern Family and Phil Dumphy took seven seasons to get good. <laughs> like how fucking awful that would be. It would be more like... <laughs> Well, Lily gets really funny eventually. He's like, well, yeah, but she's she's, the advantage she's of a baby before the, before the first two seasons. <laughs> yeah, all, all you people are the same motherfuckers who when Final Fantasy 13 came out, they're like, just play it for 25 hours. It gets great. <laughs> like, all right. Or uh, when uh, people are encouraging me to read MS Payne Adventures. No, it gets good after 400, 400 uh, editions. No, no, no. All right. My Hero Academia. This is the sequel to The Everyone Dies of, <laughs> of our review, right? Yep. So, My Hero Academia, Chapter 304, Izuku, Midoriya, and Toshinori Yagi. To put this in very, very, very general and very brief terms, this is the one chapter that I would pick out that is, in the entirety of this series run, the most likely to get the reaction of fans going, Oh my god! when reading it. But if you show it to an outsider, they were like, what the fuck was all this? And then can, can we experience this chapter between the two of us exactly that way? Because I also I kind of felt you would feel I way. read this chapter and I was like, what the hell did I even read? <laughs> I literally got to the end. And I was like, I thought we already did. We not already know he's the last all for one or what for all. I don't. We did not know that. No. All right. There you go. Oh, so. uh Last chapter left off with Toshinori All Might uh, kind of standing vigil over Deku and sensing that uh, One for All was stirring within him. Uh, and so we go inside Deku's mindscape, basically. And it is a version of, you know, how, you know, he's in he was in that shadowy form and he was meeting some of the previous uh, wielders of One for All. But this time... He shows up in that shadowy form where he doesn't have a mouth, and all of them are there. Uh, they're gathered in this semicircle of way too big chairs. That... It's Organization 13, basically. There's like a shit ton of chairs. They're all too big. It's a very, very dramatic meetingscape. Yes. Uh, the one part of this entire chapter that actually interests me the most is that so we've got established, we've established that. In this, Deku is the ninth wielder of One for All. So there are eight other people here with him, including All Might. But All Might is in this kind of spectral, flamey form, which is explained later because, you know, the real All Might's alive. The most interesting part of it to me is that there are two of the eight there, but they're not taking part in this council. So they're, they're like, fuck off you. In the corners <laughs> looking at the wall. <laughs> they don't want to be a part of it. 
Yeah, it's it's an interesting way of visualizing like, yeah, you're not in contact with them. Like, obviously, yes, it, this is part of one for all. So they have to be here, but they're not talking to you. So they're just. <laughs> so I, all the others kind of speak in one form or another, uh, except I don't even remember if All Might actually gets a line while he's in this spectral mindscape. Maybe he does. But uh, the others all, you know, like are, are saying their lines and stuff. There's a couple people there that we've never actually seen before. Um, and so they start off by saying, okay, four months ago, the power began growing rapidly. And along with the growth, the vestiges of within one for all took on more solid forms. And they are now able to communicate with each other. In the earlier battle, my brother's power drew us out by sheer force, allowing us to appear before you more easily than before, i.e., that communication between Deku and Nana on one end and Shigaraki and uh, all for one on the other. Uh, despite not having a mouth in this form, Deku can talk if he tries hard enough. Uh, I was right. like, why wouldn't you just give him a mouth? Like, <laughs> it looks cool. I don't know. <laughs> well, like, it also does the thing, too, where it's like, so he can't talk, but we'll change the speech bubbles. Like, like you know, like the first line, like, what do you need? Like, are you like, okay, we can understand. And then eventually just drop that part and you can just see like whatever it's, you know, in the parentheses or whatever. It's like, oh, this is him trying to talk or whatever. And it's like, why not just cut that whole bit? Basically, <laughs> like, why not just give him a mouth? Because you can communicate very, not complex thoughts, but like, you know, not just like, uh, uh-uh. you know, he can talk more than that. And they get his meaning very easily. So I don't know what the purpose of it was. Because uh, I was say, like, they, he, he manages to, like, get across some, like, kind of... Actually, I guess he does keep up. No, no never mind. It, he does actually get, like, some weird stuff. Because he starts talking about, like, wait a minute. One for all only got stronger after you. And I just imagine, like, just, like, someone be like, oh, hold on, we should give him a mouth. Like... And just, boom, snap it into existence or something. It reminds me, so uh, I've recently been watching the ending saga of DS9 when they uh, brought in a very minor alien race to be, like, allies to the villains as part of their, like, oh, they're super hard to deal with now. And they're called the Breen. And the Breen's speaking voice is not really a language. They just go and whenever they're talking you know with one of the other villains they go like yes i do think that repeats the entire line back to them so you know what they fucking said because it's impossible to discern meaning from so yeah it's just it's just one of those things where it's like we want to communicate that this is very difficult to actually understand but everyone can understand it anyway and you're not going to miss out in any part of the conversation it's always a weird uh, choice when that's done so we uh, are introduced to Hikage Shinomori, who was the one who gave Deku the danger sense. They are the fourth wielder of, of, of one for all. He has this really weird line where he says, I get the sense that it would have been better for you to discover danger sense in a better setting. And Deku comments, that was well said. I'm like, was it? Maybe it comes off better in Japanese because it seems weird. Um, so Shinomori, uh, did not live the life of a hero when he was alive. He just fled into the wilderness and just stayed out there. 
and he died at age 40, which uh, Deku recalls from All Might's notes about him that he wasn't he, the cause of his death wasn't was not determined. Apparently, All Might had written something down, but then he crossed it out. And Shinomori explains that he died of old age, which Deku's like, what? You were only we were only 40. How do you die of old age at 40? And so Shinomori says, so the Black Whip guy's name is like Banjo. I'm going to call him Banjo because that's what it's spelled as. And I have I don't I'm never going to have this opportunity again. So he says Banjo and I didn't know how I died until Yagi told us about some of his research. So I'll get you straight to the point. One for all can't be wielded by an ordinary person. I possess one for all the second longest second after only all might's. For 18 years, I evaded all for one and devoted my life to building up power. From the moment I inherited the quirk, I knew I could never defeat the villain, so I decided to spend my turn amassing further strength. And in my final years, these cracks appeared on my body. I thought it was some sort of disease, or perhaps I hadn't been training hard enough. But when Yagi dug up my medical history, the truth became clear. I say I had died of old age because possessing multiple quirks effectively ate away at my life. And so Deku's like, well, but the quirk got stronger over time. So after you, All Might got, wielded it for longer than you. So if you died of old age because of the stress of the quirk, why, when it was even stronger, could All Might wield it for longer? And the conclusion that they've reached is that the one thing that separates Shinomori from All Might is that All Might was born quirkless. He didn't have a quirk of his own meaning that his body somehow could handle all, one for all better. So, and they say that the reason they were able to learn this and stuff like that is because somehow the knowledge that he gained was passed to us via his shade in here, which I'm sure the people learned that information and were just like, oh my God! And I'm like, all right, that's convenient. Uh, <laughs> uh but they actually do give a reason for this, which is because All Might didn't have a quirk of his own, every other wielder of One for All basically imbued One for All with their own quirk, whereas he imbued it with part of his soul, essentially. And so that part of his consciousness is actually within the quirk as Deku wields it. So, okay. So... The original one for all says, by some twist of fate, this power that must pass from one to the next wound up being meant for those who lacked power to start with. They are the ones who can draw out its true value. And Deku says, okay, so now that the predecessor's quirks are manifesting, I can't pass this on to a normal person. One for all can't be transferred anymore, is what you are saying. Uh... I don't know why he says this is an impossibility, but the original one for all says something that makes more sense, which is there's not a lot of quirkless people out there in the world because quirks are being stronger and more common generation to generation. None of us knew any of this at the time, but as fate would have it, it passed into his hands and then yours. If only we had found a way to interact with the wielder sooner, so much pain and suffering could have been avoided. Do you get it now? You might be the last wielder of one for all. And we end the chapter on the note of Nana getting ready to say something because she asks, can you kill Tomura Shigaraki? 
Um, so question. You know better than me, because I was about to look this up, but you might just know better off the top of your head. When the, the first chapter came about, there was, like, a statistic thrown about for how many people are quirkless. Because, like, I don't remember if it was, like, 10% or it might even have been smaller than that. Um, I think it's, like, 30% currently. Okay. And it, it keeps getting lower with every generation. Right. I don't, like, I'm absolutely fine with the notion that Deku was going to have to be the last wielder of one for all. I mean, you could just easily say now that the powers have manifested, it's going to age everyone's life faster and faster like we we kind of have to let this power reach an end at some point rather than the idea of actually it could keep going on but we just don't think we're going to find enough quirkless people in the world i was like i don't know I, you could even say like oh it was like a real anomaly that quirkless people who are noble enough that we could you know safely pass this power on like that's rare but i was like i don't like the entire world you don't think there's another person who you could pass this crazy super powerful awesome ability to on um, that feels a little weird. So, you know, that's kind of like the one comment. I I really can't explain how this chapter just felt like wind blowing past me as I silently stared into the middle distance. Just like, yes, all of these <laughs> things are being said and many of them are new in pieces or old. And I've forgotten question. I was like, we know All Might's quirkless, right? We question. didn't know that, yes. Okay, that's what I mean. I'm like, I don't know which pieces were supposed to be new pieces of information versus old pieces of information. The important information was not that All Might is quirkless, but the reason why he has lived as long as he have, whereas the previous wielders have not, mm. basically. I just always assumed they got killed and like had to pass it on very quickly. Well, that's why this is a revelation, yeah. which is that all the other wielders have died in combat and such, but there was this one guy who didn't. So they're kind of basing everything off of this, you know, these two different examples. But when it's been wielded by only when you've only got eight, eight people to, you know, uh, take a sample size from that makes sense why they kind of have to jump to conclusions. Is that Sir Nighteye in the one panel? Yes. What's they, the... They're, because Sir Nighteye said, you know, he saw a, a disastrous fate and such and such like that. So they're like, if we had known more, then maybe we could have avoided this. Um, which, I mean, is the implication uh, supposed to be if they had communicated earlier, Sir Nighteye wouldn't be dead at this point? Yeah, because he, well, because the idea is that he was driven apart from All Might because of the disagreement. Oh, right, 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 right. okay. It, I, I forgot there was that angle of the relationship. In my mind, I was just like, do they think Deku knowing about, like, being able to access other quirks would have saved him? Like, what a, a fucking uh, Rue Goldberg machine that is to be like, well, oh, chaos butterfly effect. Like, who knows what we could have changed? I, I, I will say I understand the connections better than you do. Yeah. But I don't follow the logic all the way on that one hint because Sir Nighteye had a falling out with All Might because. Well, he had the fallout because he foresaw All Might dying. There was the other disagreement they had because Nighteye thought that Mirio would be a better recipient of One for All than some quirkless kid. But. That was only, you know, an element of I guess the distance between them. The so. implication being had 
All Might known, he could have simply mentioned that fact to Sir Nidai, and Nidai would have been like, oh, yeah. I guess we won't give it to Miria then, because he would die immediately or something like that. Or not okay. immediately, but super early or whatever. Okay. Um, there is also, I wonder about, because there's the, you know, quirk erasing bullets, and also, you know, people who get their quirks stolen and stuff, and I wonder how that uh, would play into the ability to transfer one for all to them. And again, I'm not sure if it's a matter of the quirk is so powerful and the quirks have manifested so no one else can wield this, or if it's a matter of there's not likely to be a quirkless person in the next generation who is suitable to hold on to this. Uh, yeah. But anyway, that that is the chapter. It's a very lore revealing, you know, information that I'm sure a lot of fans had like, oh, my God. And you're going to I'm sure like if you go on YouTube right now and look up stuff for the chapter, you're going to see all these different analysis videos about it. And, and people are going to be freaking out. But I will say that it's not something that I particularly, you know, got super into. I was like, oh, that's interesting. So <laughs> that's basically it. Yeah, um, I don't know. I, I I would need your opinion basically on this series because I don't like. I was just like, ah, stuff happened. It's crazy, right? I think that, words, man. I think that the fact that I was so cognizant when I first read this chapter of, oh, Chris probably isn't gonna like this. <laughs> I, it's not that I didn't like it. It's just one of those things that I'm like, I don't care enough about this universe that these this this minutia matters to me. You know, well, my point is the fact that I was thinking this is kind of an awkward thing that I'm sure, you know, only very particular people are going to be into as opposed to thinking myself selfishly like, oh, my God, lets you know that maybe it's not great because well, I am the person who knows enough about this stuff that I should be freaking out about it. And I'm more like, yeah, OK, <laughs> well, I'll say that, like, you know, remove weekly manga recap from the equation i probably wouldn't be reading my hero week to week so this is very easily something where it's probably a lot better that it does appeal to you the person who likes the series supports it is going to probably buy merchandise of it and things like that it's probably much better if this chapter appeals to you than to me who just right, right. kind of reads it because i'm like oh i'll read everything that jump puts out i pay for the subscription mm -hmm. might as well or whatever uh well, you know, maybe if they had just uh, talked about how great Jiro is uh, instead, uh, then I was like, uh, yeah, yeah. Maybe, th maybe that's the next chapter. <laughs> um, it'll happen eventually, even yeah. one day. <laughs> uh, Kaiju number eight, chapter 28. Actually, I, I had a thought because, like, the last series in our recap is going to have a little bit of that kind of thing kind of talk, <laughs> but we'll, we'll save it for them, save it for them. Kaiju number eight. Last time, Hoshina cut up the new super armored, super tough Kaiju guy. And uh, it regenerated, but also it was growing. And we get confirmation that, yes, it is, it's, it's getting swole uh, in this chapter as the bulges grow very, very large, building size, basically. Um, at that moment, Kafka senses something with his kaiju spider sense thing. So he senses the vice captain is in danger. Uh, Hoshina analyzes, he's looking up at the thing as it grows, that the position of its core shifted. And that's why he wasn't able to destroy it when he did his eightfold slash thing uh the now giant kaiju starts opening mouths all over its body and releases and breathes out a bunch of steam 
and uh, then it just takes a full massive humanoid form as its fortitude shoots all the way up to 9.0 and it lets out a massive bellow and everyone's like oh my god the vice captain is not going to be able to take this guy by him so and before they can even finish that thought it punches him <laughs> it really and it looks like it crushes him too like just boom uh, but there's a cool cool little thing where nope Hoshina dodged it and is just running up the arm after the thing uh, he tries to use another one of his slash techniques on it, but it doesn't penetrate very far. So things kind of go back to the way they were during the first chapter of the fight where Hoshina is slashing at it while dodging its big, massive blows. But the problem is that even though he's landing blows at this point, the thing is so huge and so tough that he can't cut all the way through its body. So he's like, how, how, how I reach this core? So... He's thinking like, okay, the only way, thing I can do is break through the decor on his back. I've got to up my attack speed. And at that moment, his nose suddenly starts to bleed, uh, like aggressively. Uh, and he has reached overheat. It's been 10 minutes since he went maximum release, which means he can't maintain this level of combat uh, power any longer. Uh, Hoshina is like, I've got like one minute at best now at this point. Uh, but as if this massive kaiju weren't enough to deal with, he sends some yoju after him to distract him. And the things also explode like living missiles as they get close. But Hoshina tries to turn this to his, his advantage by using the cover of the explosion to escape through a smokescreen, get behind the thing and get in position and he starts to use technique number six. And it's like, oh, yeah, he did it. And we cut to the next page. And the thing has mouths open all across its back with eyes that stare right at Hoshina. So no openings anywhere. It punches him. Seems to land a direct hit. And, well, I mean, Hoshina blocks it with his swords. But it sends him flying through multiple buildings. And he's left slumped up against a wall. And his release is forcefully deactivated because he's out of time and has pushed himself too far. And he also seems to be only half conscious as the chapter ends. This was a super cool chapter. I mean, so already you have like the notion of this was just kind of a very cool like visual fight. Um, and rival Kaiju has looked a lot stronger, but I also like, cause everyone has been kind of saying like, well, you know, Hoshino is going to have to kind of job here because, you know, we need Kafka to probably be involved with this or other characters. Like, it would be too quick if you just immediately killed this new character and everything like that. Uh, but I think every way you really can slice this, Hoshino kind of still looks good in this defeat. Like, immediately, he dealt with the small version of it. Won that almost instantly. Mm -hmm. uh, goes big, and it's been established that's the kind of monster, that's the kind of kaiju that Hoshino is awful against. He does it. He's not particularly well suited to fight them uh, and still does really well, has tricks thrown against him, still manages to like get all the way around to do like a big shot and then gets punched. And even then you could still probably argue he may not be down for the count, but because his release is overheated, he's absolutely definitely kind of out of this fight right now. Like it definitely like every kind of little thing you could put into this that would say, Hey, Hoshino, really is actually really good and don't let this loss kind of take away his character or anything like that has been done in this fight so i appreciate that 
Yeah, I mean, I think that it's a really cool sequence. I really love the moment where he gets behind it and you just see all the eyes open up. You know, even before the thing attacks him, you know, like, oh, he's screwed because he was going for a blind spot and this thing doesn't have a blind spot, at least not anymore. So uh, I do really appreciate the way that this that this goes down. And, and uh, yeah, I think also not just, you know, knowing uh, from word like, oh, well, he's not good against this type of opponent. But then seeing things the way things play out and realize you, you also see visually like, oh, this isn't why he's good against this type of opponent. He has these like two foot long blades. How is he supposed to reach a core with those things? Mm. So uh, it makes sense. I also think that, it, you know, it really works to have someone there to watch the fight and observe uh, uh, with the Okanogi, like observe him getting in more and more of a dire situation. I think her reactions kind of drive home the emotions of it because Hoshina is yeah. not going to be the one to make those kind of faces that she is making. And uh, it, I think it helps to really communicate how fucked he is uh, yeah. when that starts happening. Can I just note too, how excited I am that this seems to imply Kafka is also going to get a gigantic, huge kaiju transformation at some point. Like, if that's where this is leading up to, I am so hyped for that. That's going to be, I mean, they're kaiju. So, yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. All right, Chris, it took a few chapters, but guess what? It's an Anya chapter of, <laughs> of Spy Family. Oh, what did we do to finally get this again? Thank you. I thought you were going to say it was uh, finally a decent chapter of Spy Family. It was. It was. Yeah. So this chapter is about there's a rumor at the Academy that there is this thing called the pastry of knowledge where it's a dessert. And if you eat it, you get smarter. Uh, so it's in very high demand. And there is a chance for the kids to get it. And so Anya's hanging out with Becky and there is a very funny little uh, exchange that they're doing because they're playing with like these, these, you know, the little sheep blushies and Bucky's trying to do like, you know, prince and princess romantic role play thing. And I just like, no, I'm just another sheep just like you. I look exactly like you. Yeah, she's not playing along with the romantic game that she's trying. Like, oh, it's my prince. Like, nope, we're the same sheep. <laughs> so... Yeah, there's that. Um, that they also established that Anya's again just not a good student. She's she's just she's just not. It's okay. Um, but uh, they overhear some boys whispering about, "Oh, the pastries of knowledge that'll make you super smart." And so they rush off, all determined to get them. And of course, immediately they run into Damien and his friends. They're trying to get them too to improve their grades. Uh, they're like, "All right." We gotta get down there. It kind of's coming down the wire. They're glaring at each other while they're running, trying to get the one last order. And what is that? this G George? That that one kid who hated oh, yeah. Damien and thought he was gonna transfer. <laughs> he shows up. He's like, "I'll have the last order, please." And so he gets it, and everyone's like, "You go, you give it to us, give it to us." And they immediately bring up like, hey, remember that stuff that, you know, I gave you this and you never returned. I gave this, you never returned. It's And remember, we we did all that stuff for you and you never made it up to us. And Anya's like, I'm mad about the leaf, like very deadly serious, not even angry. She's like, I'm mad about the leaf, which so 
unfortunately, the, it's a set of five macarons. So he says, look, it's a set of five. I'll keep one, and you guys can have the other four. Fair enough. Only afterwards do they realize, wait a minute, there's five of us. So one of us is going to be left out. So Damien proposes that they play a round of Old Maid for it. The person left with the Old Maid at the end will wind up having to not get the macaron. Makes perfect sense. Nice, easy way of resolving it. That kind of makes sense for kids. Mm -hmm. Anya immediately uses her mind reading to win, which I thought that was just going to be, and she just wins and is down to the other four. Yeah. (laughs) But no, uh, she gets rid of her cards and immediately they're like, what the hell? You cheated or you... But Damien's also secretly thinking, like, if she wasn't cheating, then she, maybe she can read minds. And so Anya's like, oh, uh, OK, um, I guess uh, 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 fine, we'll play again. And she has to deliberately play badly so that they won't figure out that she can read minds. She's deliberately grabbing the old maid from people. And the problem is she can't do that. And then afterwards win because she's very, very bad at keeping a poker face. So when one of them is about to grab the old mate, she's like, yay. And when someone's not going to, she's like, <gasps> so she's left with the old maid. And uh, fortunately, Damien is also bad at this game. So it's down to the, the two of them at the very end. Anya's got the old maid and one other card. Damien's got one card. So it comes down to, you know, this, if one of them's left the old maid. So, Anya's like, I've got to get it. If I don't get the cookie, I'll, I'll still be dumb and, and I'll fail my tests and I'll wind up in a different class from Becky, which is the entire like reason that this is important is that they're about to be reassigned to different classes based on their performance thus far. And Anya doesn't want to lose her friend. So, again, Anya can't keep a poker face. Damien sees her go, no, no, no. <laughs> we cut to later and oh, Damien let her win. Because he didn't want her to be upset because he he, he likes her. (laughs) So, and honestly, that's one thing. But the part that honestly really did get me when I was reading this was Anya goes to Damien's like, do you want half? It's like, aww. And Damien's like, no, I don't need it. I'm smart enough without it. So, (laughs) Anya eats the cookie. And she acts like she's become a super saiyan and she's got super learning powers and she goes through the next 24 hours just going (laughs) while studying in class at home, taking the quiz and get their results the next day. And Anya did fucking terribly again. (laughs) Of course, there's no magic make you smarter cookie. So that's just kind of kind of it. And so she's. She's like, all right, well, that sucks. But Becky says, you can make up for it on your finals. Um, you know, you, you can. So it's not guaranteed yet that she'll be reassigned to, to a different class. But, you know, things aren't doing is going so great for her. Um, she gets home. She's very upset. She goes to her room. Lloyd's looking over her test results. And she says, well, she has gotten a bit better. She's got a long way to go. But then he notices, hey, on this classical language test, she made a lot of spelling mistakes, so she lost a lot of points that way. But otherwise, she did quite well. And he wonders, like, huh, they haven't studied this very much. So could she just be well acquainted with this because of her upbringing? And he ponders this for a bit. But then he's like, eh, 
and just kind of <laughs> dismisses it. So I'm not sure exactly how this is going to to play in the future, but it's it's weird because like the chapter ends on the note of yeah, Anya's got some sort some sort of thing that like lets her understand classical language better than she is at all the other subjects, and I have no idea what the importance of that would be. So. Probably where she's from, I'm assuming, like her origins or something like that, like her her parentage or something with where she was experimented on, something along those lines is what I feel like the implication is. Um, I actually so that's the part that had me really excited for this chapter because I was like, cool. We get kind of like a lead in a tease to something here and, you know, we end almost end on something that's kind of intriguing as opposed to like a silly joke. We do end in a silly joke because they're like, oh, well, we'll make hamburger steak for dinner. And, and yours like, I'll make dessert. And Bond's like, oh, I'm going to get killed again. Yeah. Remember, there was the whole chapter where I'm going to die oh, because she's it. Didn't happen. Didn't happen. No. <laughs> Uh, as for the actual chapter, it's meant that there was a bad bond chapter, Chris, so it didn't happen. (laughs) Uh, I'll say, so for like the old maid thing, I feel like this is something that like every comedy series has to do at some point. Like even Kaguya-sama had a chapter about like doing old maid or some card game to that extent. And I, I, I know I've seen this, this gimmick done before. Um, so it's not super surprising. I feel like a bunch of characters in a comedy play a card game and one of them has a really bad poker face or something like that is just like a common jack but i did find it legitimately very sweet when she's about to lose it she's just like oh no and damien's like all right i'll let it like it's it's a sweet moment just because her face looks so sad in that moment so i do like that and then her immediately being like hey do you want half is is a very sweet follow-up so i'll enjoy it for that uh, at that point I think that the part of it that I enjoy is not so much the old maid itself. It's just like, oh, they're being kids. And I appreciate that. So. Mm -hmm. All right. So. Hey, Nick. Guess what just got posted? Guess what just got posted? All right. Let's do it. (laughs) Live reading of Eden Zero. So uh, prior to this, Eden Zero had not been out. But chapter 133, Following Ziggy's Path, just came out. I just decided to refresh just to see. And there it is. Uh, so I'm going to live read this chapter, which means I have not seen it to this point. I don't really know what the contents of this chapter is. The cover page has, I think, Zhao Mei. I don't remember. I feel like the only thing notable about this character is she has bare feet. So I feel like she fulfills another fetish for somebody. So, uh, yeah. Bare feet. So. Yeah. So there we go. Oh, there. Yeah. We open up with Zhao Mei as well. These yep. are my favorite chapters, except instead of my favorite, these are the worst. Uh, so Eden Zero came to Florista. Yep. Ziggy caused a big problem there. Uh, they meet Xenolith. Yep. Uh, our heroes began training under... I don't know why she's drooling. Oh, yeah, because she likes battles. I forgot that was her yes. stupid gimmick. They're training to defeat Ziggy. Catching us up on everything. Uh, Nero set out. Uh, Sheeta's out there. It's gonna, or Shura, rather. It's going to be real bad. And Elsie... Uh, who cares about all these characters? <laughs> all right. I guess we're done with the flashback. Uh, Weiss has apparently never held a gun in his life because he's currently holding a gun that like, I don't know. It's like off to the side and just shooting off randomly in directions. But apparently there's brace exactly where it should be resting over his elbow. <laughs> <laughs> so apparently he's a crack shot with the worst way of holding a gun. Uh, oh, wait, no, hold on. It looks like I, I can't see perfectly. It looks like he actually missed a whole bunch. Uh, no. 
you well, get Zen all the targets. Xenolith said, ever tried aiming that gun? You can't yes. control the recoil. You pulled the trigger too hard. You'll never be a marksman that way. Uh, so he's just training everybody. Um, Rebecca can't activate her ether gear. Yep. Your movements accrue quite a bit. Uh, and then Xenolith just fucking flips him over. And he's like, you suck. Listen, Shiki, gravity is the weight of the heart. The stronger the heart, the stronger the gravity. All right. Hero must really love Kingdom Hearts, because I feel like every series has like a certain moment where I'm just like, did this come straight from Kingdom Hearts? But you will need well, he's inner... He's talking about darkness, so yeah. Oh, yeah, you're going to need inner tranquility to endure that weight. In other words, strike a balance between the strength and tranquility of your heart, or your gravity will fall to darkness. Fuck. I didn't think there was a... I'm trying not to laugh ahead of time, because I have read this chapter, and you haven't, because it did post a Crunchyroll before it went on Comixology, so I'm waiting for a couple of things. <laughs> to come uh, so we see a couple of the other characters. Tra oh, Laguna's training with um, Clean. That's nice. Yeah. I like yeah. that. Uh, Chris is trying to sumo, uh, Moskoy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm I, why is she naked and tied up in a bathtub? <laughs> why is this? It's that? bath, Chris! <laughs> Excuse me, could you not tie me up in the bath? Says presumably every hero character, female character in existence. <laughs> Oh my god, I just realized, I was talking last week, it's like, do you think that, like, more bondage or more bass stuff happens in Hero series? They came together. They merged. This is, this is Mashima Hero's favorite chapter he's ever written. <laughs> There's a part of me that's very nervous, because I feel like if Rebecca accidentally slips, and that's very easy, this is a bathtub, she's just going to drown in essentially, like, waste high water, just because they were like, ah, oh, we decided to, like, super arm tie you, and <laughs> shit like that. Also, why did they do the breast bondage? That's not necessary. Because. I guess. All right. So, yeah, you, you got your, you have to activate the your strain. That's why we're going to do it on you. And uh, witch is going to come, or sister's going to come here with us, too. You better get out of these ropes before this turns X-rated. I mean, if she moves her legs even slightly, this turns X-rated. Yeah. I don't. <laughs> you know what? Why is Zhao Mei in the bath? Look, instead of having the pretense of Rebecca's got to train to activate her ether gear while bound, so we need to do that in the bath that it activates ether gear. Why not just have a Nanatokaru element to this series? You know, you like having characters tied up. They engage in bondage. They're adults. Don't let them have fun. Who cares? <laughs> yeah, you know, you could have it be a central element as opposed to just feeling like a kink that you release into your chapters every so often. Um, so Zhao Mei is also in a tub, and she says, uh, I suppose you may want to see more of Rebecca's bath time training arc. Not particularly, but training sequences are boring, so we're just going to move ahead about seven days. <laughs> Everyone, please enjoy the rest of our story. Okay. <laughs> Uh, so we're on Forrester. What do you think boring, Chris? <laughs> They're boring. Who cares? No one wants to see that. You, I guess you could have literally just skipped it as well, as opposed to shitting on yourself. But, you know, whatever. Um, what? You're not coming with us. You're darn right. I'm not. I'm practically a ghost. Besides, someone has to look over after this little one. So I guess they just kept the girl on their ship for, like, a couple weeks. I guess until the fighting calmed down. Or, like, conflict calmed down. So maybe it's not crazy. Oh, he has a cute nickname, Zenny. Zenny <laughs> says that Mimi's friend lives at his house. The helper robot. Oh, yeah, Eggbot. 
oh man i hope they show up and it's just egg bot for some reason hanging from the ceiling still has the blown hole through it like from a leg like like oh no i put a light in it i thought it was a chandelier uh i've learned so much about you as exa- blah 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 they're just talking about a little kid i don't she's not a character um so I guess Xenolith is not going to die, basically. Yeah, he's he going to... needs to go in for maintenance, and so that's why they had to complete the training by a certain point, was because he wouldn't be able to train them for a little while after going in for maintenance. Yeah. <laughs> I would like to know where about when you went Ziggy. That would have been over 100 years ago. The last I saw him was 15 years ago. He said he was on a quest to find Mother. Uh, and when you saw him then, we four shining stars have been with them. No, I'd never forget a bunch of beautiful babes like you. Ziggy was alone. Uh, so this was apparently before the Shining Stars were created. Supposed to be on a quest to find Mother 15 years ago, but we abandoned it. We found Shiki. Uh, something happened that necessitated the erasure of our memories. Or perhaps, we don't finish that thought, we fly away. It's oh, such an fuck. awkward cut. Like, she's having a conversation. It's like, or maybe. Yeah. <laughs> also... Food girls on the ship. Yep. I'll have you know, what are you doing on this ship? I've never seen such an incredible kitchen. From comfort foods to most unknown dishes and all you can eat buffet of anything you... Is she staying on the ship because it's a bunch of food on the ship? Yes. She's... Okay. <sighs> Let's go to the next page. <laughs> Ian's one's doing something. So Ziggy's looking at it. He's like, that was merely a test of seeing my evil plans to make robots fight humans. Clown shows up. I don't know. They're probably just going to blow him up, too, before they go on the next mission. Like, I don't need this stupid robot, too. Kaboom. I hope that's how every one of Hero's groups goes from now on. Uh, he, he has one of his main villains kills one of the members of his group at the very start. Yeah, sure. She, uh, Ziggy says, I had lost my memories. I woke up one day and I was building a theme park on Grand Bell without a care in the world. For a time, I searched for Mother determined to retrieve my memories, but instead I found the baby Shiki and I sensed he was more that he was something more precious than my memories and I decided to raise him. But that was a mistake. After my energy ran out, I didn't know what caused it, but I came back to life with all my memories revived, including the reason I was so drawn to Shiki. At the same time, oh my god! At the same time, I couldn't remember why I cannot let him live. I have worked, so he's going to start the conversation, but he's not going to tell us the actual information we want no. to know. Okay, he just says Shiki is a threat not only to machines but the entire universe. He should not be allowed to exist. He he he! He breaks his TV, I guess. Oh no, I guess he just he just Iron Man swats it away. No more of them. In other words, I have no family. I'm the one to crush those humans. Now let us begin. We will start by taking the Owl Cosmos. Nero's empire will be mine. And he has a little mouth at his belly now. He transforms. He's dark, dark Ziggy. Ziggy's gravity I, has fallen to darkness. I do really like his new super awful devil villain design, honestly. I think it's a lot more imposing than his previous one. And, you know, if you're going to have, like, Okay, this person is no longer Shiki's mentor and grandfather. They are, you know, the big villain mm-hmm. that we have for at least right now. Then sure, you have that design to kind of give them that additional um, look to them. 
I don't know why the redesign comes right now and why he didn't like give himself the redesign like when they had that first confrontation uh, when he showed up on the planet and was like, I want to kill you now, you know, but whatever. Mm. Um, I also think that it's really funny that Ziggy uh, says like, I want to crush all the few foolish humans. But also, this boy is a danger, and that's why I need to kill him, is because he'll kill us all. Like, <laughs> Yeah, he is a danger to my plans to genocide all biological life forms, basically. So, uh, it's one of, those, one of those things where it's like, well, we have to make, you know, the main character's power seem dangerous because, oh, they could follow darkness and stuff like that. But, but also... But it's not like Ziggy is just like concerned with that. No, no, he's also evil. But he just, but he knows that uh, that uh, that Shiki's dangerous, and he's concerned about this. Whatever. It's like I would appreciate it more if it were literally like they just have that be Shiki's motivate, uh, Ziggy's motivation rather. That like he's so worried about this that he needs to stop Shiki from going on adventures or destroying the planet or whatever but no it's just kind of like also this so that we can have ominous note on so this was a silly chapter and i really hated the note where jame literally just goes training arcs are boring because it's like well yeah if you don't know how to write them like you yeah yeah i was gonna say that i can think of several training arcs that i like quite a lot but i guess those ones are stupid those are boring she's a fan of shonen but she hates most of it basically she's like training arcs those suck uh tournaments only cool for the fights anything between the fights i don't care about you know what i think it just means she really likes uh the flame of rakamangaka because that was just uh, like just she wants nothing but fights any fucking thought process that happens in between them could go fuck itself i want fights so yeah i don't know it just it does just kind of come across as like hero telling on himself that like I don't like training arcs, so I don't bother to put effort into them. So I'm skipping over this one. But we like, have a bathtub train, bathtub bondage training arc this time, Nick. I think that that might have been like, okay, what if I do this? Will I? Will I care then? No, I still don't care. It's still a training. Arc. Hero drew four panels, masturbated, and like had that post nut clarity of like, eh, I already got what I want. I don't need to finish this. And they just drew Zalme in a bathtub. He's like, I'm gonna come back to you later. But yeah, she just snaps uh, his way into a new plot line that interests him. And that, and uh, he masturbated over being uh, over her skipping the training argument yeah. too. He was like, oh yeah, don't well she was, she was she was she was barefoot in a tub, so obviously yeah. yeah. It's three finishes. I can't tell if Hero is the the corniest man in existence, or if he just is playing to the horniest audience in existence. <laughs> Because the answer so... is yes, and I'm not sure if it's yes both. Okay. But... Oh man, yeah, it's whatever. It makes him money. Hey, fine. Pe- people enjoy it. That's perfectly fine. But yeah. But I'm still going to make fun of him specifically. Again, I just it. it's the thing that makes me laugh. It's the bathtub bondage shake, and I'm like, I just don't understand why they tied up things beyond her arms if that's the only part that matters. Like, it wasn't even like it wasn't even like Sister, who's got the weird BDSM kink did it. She comes in afterwards, which was just like, I mean, if you're gonna show the girls off, show the girls off. Let's put a harness on you and <laughs> crotch rope. Just like, make this just awful. 
God, that would probably feel really uncomfortable in a bath too. Because like the water would affect the rope. And, but uh, Nick, it's ether restoring uh, water, so maybe it feels fun. great. Yeah, <laughs> probably feels, feels great. like it feels like a tentacle wrapping around you or some shit like that. <laughs> Time that too well. Oh well. Imagine if that ended up being the way that actually, because I could see it. Like, I don't think you ever played Persona, but like, I imagine like that's like the Persona moment where you rip your mask off and unleash your Persona. Like, that's how you activate your ether gear. Is you just you just orgasm from the tentacle. <laughs> like, you're just like, oh, whoa! <laughs> <laughs> oh man. All right, so. <laughs> Oh, all right. The Elusive Samurai, Chapter 7, Archery, 1333. So um, we get an introduction that it says that uh, in the Kamakura period, no military units like tank and infantry or battalions of archers and pikemen existed. Each warrior had to be proficient in all weapons. That's our starting point. And we see... Tokiyuki is training with a sword. He's got one of those like bamboo uh, pole things that are set up so that you know you can like slice. Uh, it's like straw that you slice into. And he tries to it, hit it, and he just goes, <laughs> and his sword bounces off the straw. And they're uh, like, "Oh wow, you're really bad at this." But uh, Yoroshige explains this very, very simply, which is Tokiyuki is always poised to run away so when he swings a sword he's swinging while his body retreats so he doesn't put his weight into it so uh ayako uh brings up well how did you cut off godain's head and yoshige explains thanks to your help he didn't need to worry about fleeing and since he was slaying his brother's murderer he put his full weight into it and Tokiyuki's like, yeah, if we were facing an army of Ogodians, I'd kill all of them. I'm like, all right, but we're not. <laughs> so uh, so they're like, okay, we need to practice on his strength. But is like, no, 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 no. If, if we focus on building up just his offensive strength, you're going to weaken what he's good at already. And he'll just be mediocre at everything as opposed to having his amazing running away ability or his running away muscles. He explains it as. Fortunately, Tokiyuki is kind of talented at archery. He at least is able to hit a target, although not getting a bullseye. And he explains that he has practiced at this because his father really enjoyed archery competitions. So they're like, okay, so for the get from the get go, that's what we'll focus on for right now. Um, so Yoroshige is like, okay, so we need him to be able to master all these combat skills because he can't just run away. He has to have some ability that allows him to defeat his enemies as he runs so that until he gets good at everything, we'll at least be able to have him participate in combat. And, you know, he won't just be the general who runs away from everyone. And uh, the army's like, oh, fuck that kid. So, So he's like, we need someone to instruct him in this art. Uh, Yoroshige at that moment receives a message that Ogasawara Saramune, the weird eyes guy that we met last chapter, has suddenly arrived from Western Shinano. And uh, he shows up. His eyes are still weird. And uh, he uh, Yoroshige uh, has had Tokiyuki and the other kids hide in a little hut 
just to be safe. Uh, they, the two of them exchange pleasantries because obviously no one knows where Tokiyuki is. They don't know that Yoroshige is uh, harboring him. So Sadamune is like, oh, yes, yes, yes. I wanted to pay my respects to you because the shogunate has fallen. Uh, and he presents, uh, you know, like, hey, I've been, uh, this is a Rinji. I've been appointed governor of Shinano, which means I'm in charge of you. But he doesn't just say it like that. He 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 goes all the way up into Yorishige's face, and apparently his eyes are just always bulging because they're just going ah, right into Yorishige's face. So that's fun. Uh, some, I believe, unimportant <laughs> servant of Yorishige because his, his text box is... I can't read it. It's so small. So, uh, Nick, how like, dare you? That's... Suwamorataka, member of the hold on Yorishige's family. There you go. So he's some relative of Yorishige's, it seems. How dare you, Nick? This is Suwamorataka, the nineteenth most popular character in this series right now, behind the boar and the obsidian shard that killed it. <laughs> so Rebecca. <laughs> <laughs> Is really upset about the fact that this guy is is now in charge of Yorishige. Uh, but, uh, you know, <clears throat> so Sadamune says, well, when the shogunate fell, he, we fought against the Hojo clan. But many of you fought for them. So it's only fitting that, you know, you lose your lands and we gain them. But that's a, we'll take we'll address all that later. I have another purpose for being here. If you are sheltering any Hojo survivors or retainers, I demand you turn them over. And Yoroshige plays innocent. And Samuel's like, oh, okay. Yeah, you haven't seen it, have you? And he looks around. And he's like, well, there's two men on alert over by that uh, by that cedar tree 100 meters from here. There's that old man behind you who's gripping his dagger uneasily. And there's children inside that hut watching. And they all look suspicious. You cannot fool my all-seeing gaze, Yoroshige Dono. I will root out anything you are hiding. But I'm just here to say hello for right now. Oh, oh, uh, since I'm visiting you, uh, I forgot to bring a gift. So allow me to offer a deer to you. And he calls for his bow, draws back the arrow, and he takes aim directly at Yorishige and says, at this shrine, they say it is auspicious to fell a deer with a split ear. And then he moves the arrow away from Yorishige, which is the only, which is the only thing that actually gets a reaction out of him. Yoroshige clearly is like, you're not going to shoot me. Uh, but once he points at someone else is when he reacts. And he shoots the arrow. And a shrine maiden has her ear sliced by the arrow as it passes by her. And uh, then Satomura rides off laughing because he's a dick <laughs> like that. I like to think that's how he laughs. I mean, he, we see it, he goes hot, but I like to think it's like a tee-hee-hee <laughs> kind of thing. Because imagine that being the most obnoxious thing as he rides away after shooting off part of your like, like oh. Uh, oh, it pierces my half-sliced open ear. <laughs> I have so much more room to hear that obnoxious laugh now. Uh, Sakei, the shrine maiden who, whose ear was sliced, uh, is, is, is fine. She has her ear stitched up. Uh, after, as uh, people are regrouping afterwards. Uh, Yoroshige talks about how Sadamune is a renowned archer 
with keen eyesight and perceptiveness, heighten his skill, and he will be troublesome to deal with. Uh, and so, the I think it's Ko Ko Koshiro, something like that. I forget his name for right now. I'll get their I'll get their names. I, think, I promise. I think it's Koshiro. It might be. It's something like that because it's similar to Ayako, but hmm. so. He brings up like, oh, I can't believe that he, you know, attacked a shrine man like that. How do you feel about that, young lord? And Tokiyuki says, oh, it was shameful. His character is ignoble, but his archery skills were beautiful. But it was bad that he did it. But he was really good at archery. <laughs> it's bad that he did it. So he's very back and forth on this. But Yoroshige is pleased by this because, like, I mean, you know, he's very forthright and he's discriminating and. Even if it's his hated enemy, he recognizes their strength, and that's a great quality to have. And he's like, I've got an idea on who's going to be Tokiyuki's instructor. He says, Tokiyuki-sama, it's time to play another game of hide from the demon. Sadamune has two objectives, to capture Hojo survivors and thereby weaken Suwa's might, and you have goals as well. You must hide your identity from him, and at the same time, acquire his skill in archery. Sadamune is sure to abuse his position as a governor to invent excuses for quarreling with Sua, so you will have many chances to witness his archery skills. You will hide yourself and conceal your birth and observe his skill with the bow. In this game, you must evade his gaze and his bow. Your heart will pound in fear of discovery or an arrow at any moment, but that's exactly what you love. And, uh... Um... So... Let's talk about this. Tokiyuki is a boy of a certain age, and uh, when you're a boy of a certain age, you start to discover that uh, certain things uh, about other people make your heart flutter and your body heat up. And uh, in this case, oh no, I might get caught. Is <laughs> apparently <laughs> oh, you think he's like he has an ex uh, not kind of exhibitionist. What is the name of that fetish? danger fetish uh, it's specifically being caught in public oh being uh caught in public fetish it'll, it'll it'll show up if i just type that into google right exhibitionist is that exhibitionist i thought exhibitionist was nudity like if you show off your body a lot that's an exhibitionist oh um well i i shouldn't say this this is from a site called kinkly.com but agoraphilia Having a fetish by having sex in public places and being excited by the idea of being seen by other or the thrill of being caught. Yeah. I, and people are like, don't worry about your, your Google search history, but at this point it's done. I can't. It's it's all it's all done for at this point. So I was just a researcher. I that's not a bad thing to have on your like it's that's fine. How <laughs> yeah, it would be really bad if I typed uh, being caught in public fetish plus how to download Metallica songs illegally <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> Where to watch uh, Black Widow before it comes out or something. Yeah. I don't, uh, I'm, I'm a little bit, uh, I know that this is a weird series by a manga who's written many weird series, but I don't like looking at a 12 year old make that face and going, because like, don't do that. All right. I, I want to be able to keep on reading this manga and not feel weird, okay? So stop it. I don't know if it's as bad. I think you could definitely read into it a lot, but I guess I'm just used to series that go 100 at this point, where I feel like this one's definitely yeah. like a 20. I don't think it's supposed to be a sensual image or anything like that. Um, and as for the rest of the content of the chapter, I actually really like this premise a lot. 
I feel like Nick's oh, yeah. in pain, so I have to talk so I can like help him get over the pain. Um, Fine. Okay, I'm happy. Are you good? I was. I've, I've been good. okay. I, I good. hit my knee. I hit like directly over my kneecap, and so it was like. <laughs> so, so if you I, ever want to argue against someone's case that uh, you know humans were created through intelligent design, just like bang a knee or an elbow against something and be like that didn't have to be the way it is like (laughs) it shouldn't be like this i came into the house the other day and the door swung in and caught my arm and like banged and my arm to hand hurt the entire day i couldn't do yoga i couldn't do anything i was just like this sucks why are we built like this (laughs) like i took one bang and it's just like ah holy shit that really stung um but no i actually really like the premise i think this is a fun concept and i do kind of like the idea that we're going to get this uh power up to this character but he has to earn it you know he has to Mm -hmm. figure out a way to avoid this guy and basically steal all of his skills because at first i was worried i was like ah yes he would be a great teacher for you like oh i don't really want this dude's kind of freaky and weird i don't want to join the group like no no you're going to be stealing it from him (laughs) we're not hanging out with this guy yeah, and I really like the idea that uh, this elusiveness doesn't just have to take the form of Tokyuki just running away from people. It can be mm-hmm. hiding in plain sight like this. Uh, it you know presents different options for you know stories that you can tell with this character as he grows as a as a leader and as a warrior. So yeah, I'm re- I, and you know once it started hinting towards the possibility where Yoroshige you know like gets the light bulb. I'm like, oh my god, is he going to be like? Is he going to trick this guy into teaching Tokyuki? Oh, that is exactly his plan. That's cool. So, good stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I like it a lot. Um, oh, boy. <laughs> you know what's next? <laughs> oh, I'm excited to talk about this chapter. I'm so happy about this. <laughs> I tell C, chapter six. Kill. So, we... Um, I think are continuing the flashback from the beginning of the last chapter here where the head of the Tokyo police was talking to Aoi about, you know, people not coming after her and how she needed a team of people and stuff. And she says in the flashback in this chapter, I don't need comrades, sir. I wouldn't want someone to sacrifice themselves for my sake. So... Then we get, oh, this character is too unlikable. Let's wind that back a bit so that you don't just question why he's there at all. Uh, happening with Ukon. And Ukon says, to the police, Aoi is a tool who can be disposed of. I've never once agreed with how she's been treated. But I've also never agreed with her brand of feelings. To have feelings for a criminal is a fool's errand. It's the same mistake that got my father killed. And we cut to see that he's talking with with Author Boy about this. He's just like, eh, you know, you seem trustworthy. I'm sure nothing's going to happen with you that will make me feel like I shouldn't have told you this information. But, uh, you know, so I've just been telling myself things like, I always just a tool. If she breaks and can no longer be used, then that's that. But Sakon... He followed his heart, and I've never been able to do that. Never been able to reach out my hand to how he... It's because you're a... Look, no, you're Nick. an asshole. No, Just Nick, he's a noble hero. An no, he's an <laughs> asshole. Just because you feel bad about being an asshole doesn't make you not an asshole. <laughs> yeah. So, 
Oh, author boy says to Ukon, a hero showing up last minute is a common trope in stories. So let's go. You know, like, hey, it's not too late for you to do the good guy thing here, which is, you know, it's it's, it's actually kind of a nice little note of that. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Sakon is with Mizaoi and he's been knocked to the ground. The killer with the saw has shown up and is bearing down on her. And Sakon's like, no, this is one situation that even Mizaoi can't handle with just kind. And she's grabbed the killer's hand between her own, his free hand. And he freezes when she does this. And she's like, yeah, that's right. You calm down. And she says, all you've ever wanted was to hold hands. You just want to be loved, don't you? The owner, your father, Mr. Kenzo Ohira, I read the notes he was keeping. And we see that we get the, we get all the story from the little note from before. I wish Zhao Mei had come in here and she'd been like, and this is where I always found the exposition notebook that details all of the important plot details to this case. She, but reading that off would be boring, so we're just going to skip it and just snaps us out of it. So, apparently he, you know, had all the, you know, warning signs of, like, psychopaths as a kid. You know, like, he killed birds and stuff. Uh, and so, the father's notes say, My son Nobuto has an extremely unsettling personality, and I learned of his abnormal tendencies along with his mother when he turned ten. Our love for him vanished. Then one day, my wife went missing. I had a secret room in the back of the matter. You know, just because. There is where I found my son sitting atop a pile of corpses, holding my wife's right hand. Countless other hands were strewn about, squeezed so hard the bones had been broken. I tossed the corpses off the cliff. Did a real bad job. <laughs> They're over there now. <laughs> no one will ever know. <laughs> no one will ever trace this back to me as like the pa camera pans down and watches a body just wash up directly next to him on shore. <laughs> what do I do with my son, though? Kill him? No, I don't have the courage for that. Instead, I'll put him somewhere. No hand will ever reach him. I'll, it's just like the bodies. I'll just put the problem over there. <laughs> It'll be fine. I'll just leave him in a closet. And then I'll never have to deal with him. <laughs> did I lock his cage last night? I'm sure I did. <laughs> and now I will <laughs> ominously go to sleep, only surely to wake up the next day and continue my life as is. So Sakon is listening to all this, and he thinks accurately, this is so strange. <laughs> Aoi says that she found a photo of Nobuto with what she presumes to be his mother holding hands. And she says to Nobuto, that was your form of love, wasn't it? Hands are homes for our emotions. People clench them in frustration or reach them in search of love. Everyone has their own reasons for committing a crime, but often it's their negative emotions that drive them to do it. Jealousy, repression, longing. I wish to fill that gap. And while she says this, she thinks about the person who kidnapped her. So that's what she wants to do with him. But also she wants to kill him? I don't know. Anyway, but she says, And if I do, you'll no longer have a reason to commit such crimes. Isn't that right? If we run from the law in the name of love, I won't allow you to stay on the path of crime. Because as long as I'm by your side, you'll never think of committing another crime ever again. I'll devote my life to holding your hand until you no longer need me. And Sakon now has a much better understanding of what Ms. Aoi's 
love is. She's trying to give them what they want so that they'll stop being bad. It's it's crazy, okay? Like, I don't mm-hmm. think that this is a good thing in the slightest to do. But it makes internal sense with what she's demonstrated she's about thus far. And it's like, okay, I get that your idea is I want to run away together with this person and I'll also fix them. She's crazy. (laughs) It's not a good thing to do, but it makes sense at least. Yes. Again, this entire concept probably could have been a lot easier to ease into the audience if you didn't start with serial killers and murderers. If you started a little bit less down the line as opposed to a guy who has been uh, periodically murdering people over the span of decades. <laughs> and and will definitely continue to. He's, he's not stopped. If you did no. not get involved, he would continue to murder people. Also, like, girl, I know what you're, you're about here. That dude, the reason that dude kept killing was because the hands he got off got crushed. Like, yes. what do you think is going to happen to your tiny, dainty hands? Like, so, ugh. So, Ukon shows up with Author Boy at that moment, Kagami. Uh, and so they see uh, Mizaiwi with, uh, with Nobuto. Apparently, she has shrunk in between panels because the height discrepancy between them is much greater when they look at her. Yeah. Ukon starts to interfere, but Sakon's like, no, wait, look, look at them. And uh, Kagami in particular is watching as Nobuto is crying tears of relief and joy and says, thank you so much. I definitely won't kill anyone and cut their hands off. Because I've I don't been feel fixed. Like doing it in this one singular moment, I'm totally fixed now. It's fine. Thank you. You've prepared me. So... Nobuto collapses to the ground as Mizawa says, What do you desire at this moment? To confess? To run away? Whatever you wish, I won't say no. But Nobuto says, My desire is something that I need to do. This is what Dad... And Ukon goes, This is what Dad strove to see. And Sakon says, I'm sure of it. The only ones capable of saving someone like him are people like Dad and Mizaoi. And then Kagami takes a gun out and shoots <laughs> Naruto in the head. <laughs> so, <laughs> I love it. Not first and foremost, it's just a great one-panel turn. But it's even better because, like, up to this point, I'd be like, "Man, this chapter sucks." And then he immediately follows it up with, "This suck. It sucked." <laughs> What a lame scenario we were in. This whole concept sucks. This arc sucks. Everything about this sucks. Anyway, I'm the bad guy now. So, Kagami meaningfully slicks back his hair and partially unzips his jacket. And that's all you need to do to completely change your appearance. So, he reveals... That he well, is really Hikaru Kagamino, the person who kidnapped Risa Aoi. Now, Nick, now we do have to recall, he is a master of transformation. As last chapter, he did have that hilarious moment where he became a Doraemon gag for a, yes. for a panel. <laughs> so, yeah, the final boss, question mark, has been revealed, I guess. Um, the, I, I mentioned on Twitter, this was... 
chapter six is to I tell C as chapter seven was the time paradox ghostwriter as in, all right, this is either everything is going to be stupid from now on, or everything's going to be stupid and awesome from now on. So immediately much better than I think that I felt <laughs> two chapters ago. Yeah. So. But yeah, I, if you ever want to get me to just like turn a dime on stuff, have a really lame plot line happen, and then someone go, this sucks, and shoot someone in the head. <laughs> um, oh, also, there's more after that, because yeah. like, everyone glares, and there's narration. <laughs> there's narration. Also, They're like, hey, you don't look like him. Like, hold on. I, I wish somebody was like, well, Ukon, actually, <laughs> or Seikon, Actually, people can dye their hair. It's actually relatively easy to find hair dye. You could find it at any convenience store, big name box store. You know, honestly, it's not even that expensive. You could probably get a box for under $10. Someone has to explain hair dye to him. He's like, wait a minute. Now that you say it, he does look identical if you just changed his hair color and pushed yeah, it up a little bit him, like make a different facial expression the only reason you don't he doesn't have the exact same face is he's you know narrowing his eyes instead of wide instead of making a puppy dog expression yeah so i was gonna say he has the same earrings in as well yeah. too so like it's not like he did much to change it's not like he's wearing like a fucking like a the like a giant chef's hat and like a fucking giant curly mustache or something like that so it's like i don't know who this possibly is it's like kind of looks like the exact dude just pushed his hair up a little bit like he does like his kagami disguise is a much better disguise than his current appearance like mm -hmm. the fact that sakan looks at him now and is like he doesn't look anything like him it's like yes he does <laughs> that'd be great if he was like nope this was a trick that's definitely not him he would he doesn't look anything like the guy who kidnapped him. <laughs> like he refuses to believe it he's like nope someone can't look that different there's no way this this guy's lying <laughs> it's a trick oh man so yeah, that's that's I tell C. Oh boy, this is gonna get canceled. I, le I legitimately like this chapter. I legitimately was like, this the start of this chapter sucked, and then he shot the part of it that sucked in the head and killed it, and the the chapter was much better after that. So look, I don't even want to go as far as to say this series is getting canceled because this might be intentional. We don't really know. There's not a whole lot of information yet about I, how I tell C is doing or ranking or anything like that. Cause we haven't gotten like, it hasn't finished a full volume's right. worth of chapters or anything. Uh, hasn't started ranking yet. Um, so we don't know, but obviously things could be going on behind the scenes, but this character was involved since chapter four under a different intention. Whose identity was clearly trying to be hidden. So maybe this was intentional. Maybe this was a setup that we were supposed to think this is like a procedural series and we were going to get, you know, let's go to this new location. There'll be a new mystery there and we'll solve this new mystery. And instead, this series is like discount monster where this dude's just present. He's just going to fucking murder everybody she's trying to save. And I think that that would be way more interesting. Um, I do want to point out that uh, we did call like that. Maybe this guy is just a bad guy. <laughs> he was obviously a bad guy. <laughs> It's 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 like murder mystery one oh one, like a random dude showed up and mm -hmm. is is eerie and mysterious, but like yeah, obviously he plays a part in something. I did appreciate that he had a premise where you could see him potentially not being that. So mm -hmm. there is the possibility that you could be surprised by this, but yeah, it did seem like it was gonna be yeah. 
All right, let's move on to Maguchan, God of Destruction, Chapter 34, Muscar of Fate. I love this cover page. It looks like a boss mo- movie adaptation of uh-huh. this series. Uh, Muscar of Fate has revealed himself to everyone. Uh, and uh, we get an explanation from Magu of his powers, which is his adjustment of fate can predict an undetermined future and make it so. It is believed to be a power that interferes with destiny itself. Our coming here and being swallowed up by the snowstorm appears to not be mere coincidence. So it's not just weather manipulation. He can just make shit happen, essentially, which is fine. It seems like the powers that, you know, Uneris has, for example, are very far reaching. So sure, he can just do this stuff. Um, we uh, get a bunch of like plot stuff that happens in this chapter. Like uh, Muscar says that he has been able to evade Uneris' detection and move around freely for years. Uh, I divined this future through my power over fate. The future where Uneris betrayed us, siding with humans, and where we supreme beings lost our influence, and that is why I accepted the seal. My power of fate allowed me to break my seal before the rest of you, and I went to hiding and restored my body and power while collecting the other sealing gems and waiting for this very moment. So, all according to Keikaku, but it's in a way that, like, okay, he's got fate manipulation powers, it makes sense, and, yeah, he let this happen because he foresaw the possibility that he could come out later on with an advantage over everyone else. So he says to Magu, join me. We will wipe out all who oppose us, starting with the Holy Knights. We will reign over this world once more. Uh, Magu refuses. He charges up his eye beams at the same time that Izuma comes in with uh, a burning sword slash. They attack Muscar. It has no effect because fate manipulation. Um... And uh, Muscar says that humanity hasn't changed in the hundreds of years that he's been sealed, so he won't allow them to carry the way of this world. It is up to the supreme beings to guide them on the correct path. Uh, and Magu's like, no. I mean, you set the rankless beings loose as if they were disposable. So, no. But uh, Muscar says there was basically indicates there was purpose behind each of the ones that he set free, that Zonzage's despair worked on you, uh, and, you know... Uh, I wanted you to remember your pride and your power to revert all things to nothing. I, I admire that about you and combine that with my power over fate. I can control your destructive power better than anyone else. So evil, 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 join me, that kind of <laughs> stuff. Um, Ruru hears over this about how everything that was made by him has led them to this moment. And Ruru was like, oh, wait, wait a minute. Then that means... You're the reason I won the lottery. Thanks. I really wanted to go on this ski resort trip. <laughs> Which, I mean, as soon as she does that, it's like, okay, nine chapters of, all right, whatever, turn to, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, so there, this was like nine chapters of like, okay. And then Ruru starts talking, and this immediately became a contender for chapter of the week. Because she does not give the no. slightest fuck about the drama of this situation. And she keeps on saying after this point, it's like, oh, thank you for this. Hey, we should go down the slope and we can go into the resort and we can have some curry and have a nice conversation. And Muscar's like, I'm in the middle of an evil speech trying to tempt this guy to my side. What, what are you doing? He's like, Ruru Miyanagi, your existence is the one thing I cannot foresee. How could so simple, lowly human such as yourself possibly become friends with Mago Minuaku? I thought for sure that once you witnessed his overwhelming power, you would run in fear. 
He is not a being you should keep by your side. You come from different worlds. You can never be friends. And Ruru pauses for a minute after hearing this and says, well, Yeah, maybe I'm not friends with Magu-chan. To me, Magu-chan is more like family. It's like, oh, <laughs> she's so sincere. And that panel there where she's holding him is so sweet looking. So <laughs> it's, it's, it's it's legitimately the one moment where everything starts happening and Magu-chan's like, do, do you not understand the situation at hand? She's like, nope, but it sure sounds like he has a lot to say to you. <laughs> it's like, all right, I'm done. I'm, I'm 100% behind her. And Muscara starts freaking out. I was like, oh, come on. I, I hate humans. You're so ignorant and foolish. And you think you can just define a supreme beast to suit your needs? Oh, I hate you. Your skin makes my skin. The side of makes my skin crawl. And Ruru's like, well, of course your skin's going to crawl with goosebumps. We're in a snowstorm. It's cold out here. You want to go eat some curry? <laughs> He's going back to the curry. Um, and Baga's like, she has a point. <laughs> I love curry. We should get curry. Somebody said something about curry. Let's get curry. <laughs> so he says, I know your objective now, so I have no further business with you. Come, my disciple. Take me to the offering of curry. Um, and Muscar's like, what the fuck? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I manipulate everything. Fuck you, snow. So, cause of this massive snow drift, uh, Magu is like, oh no, my, my, the exhaustion of my corporeal form is too great. But fortunately, Ruru has come prepared. She has instant ski slope curry in her jacket and she feeds it to Magu so he can protect them. And sure enough, after everything clears and there's a massive snowdrift over over all of them, Ren and Naputaku and the others have been following them and they come across where they are. And uh, Naputaku hears where they are and uh, starts digging them out and comes across Magu, who blasts the rest of the of the snow off of them with his eye beams. And he basically acted as like a tent to kind of shield Izma and Ruru from the snow. Uh, thanks to being fed uh, the instant curry. So they're all safe now. And uh, also, Uneris is like, a pigeon caught me after I got blown away. No one cares. So <laughs> Magu says that Muscar left for reasons unknown. Even though he possesses the power of fate, he was not able to predict this future. That must mean he is not yet in peak condition. And uh, we go on a bit of an ominous note from there as we cover to where Muscar is floating in the air. And he says, fate has been warped because I went too far. And after I was finally able to bring them here, I'll have to do it all over again. It's that dim-witted lowly human's fault. And they are approached by a human figure who is wearing a cloak similar to Muscar's own as some sort of cult member. Muscar just says, we'll have to try again. But I swear, next time I'll take you back with us. Back to our chaos cult. And uh, everyone goes and eats curry. And yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, I, you know, it's as I said, like the first like nine pages, you're just like, okay, this is the villain's motivation. Um, blah, blah, blah. Angry. Humans are bad. Blah, blah, blah. Oh, they were behind everything. Blah, blah, blah. And then just we're having no interest in it and just being so grateful like oh thanks you manipulated this event so i got to go on this fun vacation with all my friends that's awesome and just having zero context for everything it really really makes me laugh of just Magu being like don't don't you 
get the gravity in the situation? Nope, not at all. Like it's, it's anyway, the best. hold on. Let's yeah. go eat curry. Yeah. It's the best. So uh, it, did, it did take all of the wind out of the sails of this new character, but to be completely honest, I don't think Magu-chan is particularly going to work as a serious battle series or anything like that. So it's probably for the best we took the wind out of this character pretty quickly, you know? I, at this point, have Muscar be Team Rocket. <laughs> like, they show up to be wacky, and then, like, by the end of the chapter, they're they're shooting off into the distance, and they turn into a star. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't think you necessarily have to do battle stuff in Magu. I think that having a sense of consequences is nice, and we still have that after this chapter is done, but Ruru being like, I don't really get what happened, but you let us go on this cool ski trip, so thanks for that, and just, you know, caring about getting to spend have good times with her friends and family is all that's really important to her uh that preserves the heart of the series you know you can have this like oh these gods have serious things going on but that should never be 100 percent the focus of the story it should be like okay there's a context to why they're in this you know slice of life series basically mm-hmm. let's move on to nine dragons ball parade Chapter four, Yoshitaka Surugi. It's, uh, they're going out to try and get their first recruit for Kokoryuzan. So, uh, Azu is, uh, is that Azu and Ryudo and, uh, uh, oh gosh, Karin are all gathered together. They're excited to go and do scouting and stuff like that. Um, and so Azu says that the first thing that they need to do is get a powerful cleanup hitter. So they're going after a legendary slugger, the soaring falcon Ichimonji Yoshitaka Tsurugi. And uh, he's called the soaring falcon because his hits soar like a bird of prey. And he lies in wait for that perfect pitch and swings for the fences. His piercing gaze can make any pitcher's knees shake. One of the strongest hitters in the Kanto area. But he quit for reasons that no one knows. Literally no one. Uh, as when they go like scouting for him, like they, uh, we find out later, like, um, cause they go to see Sarugi first, but later on they actually ask around and ask of like his teammates and his coach and stuff like that. And, and no one knows why he quit at all. He is apparently told no one why, but they go to see Sarugi. He apparently lives in a toy store. I assume like in like a house on top of the toy store. Or, or an apartment or whatever. Uh, and he works in it, uh, and he's, like, very, very focused. We see that his his hawk's gaze in action when he's very making very minute adjustments to a pile of plushies, like, rotating them individual degrees and stuff like that. Um, a kid comes up to him and is like, oh, I want to see, and actually knocks into him and causes the entire pile of plushies to fall over. But he's like, no, no, it's all right. I was just trying, you know, I was so super focused. I wasn't paying attention. Uh, so it's all right. Um, and uh, he reassembles the, the plush toy hill and they're stacked super perfectly. Uh, and uh, they're like, oh, wow, it's like perfect. He's like, yes, it's crucial. He goes over to Ryudo and just goes. <laughs> and Ryudo's shirt is all tucked in when it had been all casual and untucked before. And he's like, yes, it's essential that everyone personally present themselves perfectly too. And uh, they're like, it's kind of weird. But uh, as, as it points out, yeah, but he's not scary. 
You know, he's, yeah. he's not creeper. So. I do like the idea that they're just like, you know, the worst case scenario is the guy who's just going to beat us in with a baseball bat. <laughs> the worst case scenario is that the people we're trying to recruit are serial murderers, and that's why they quit. Yeah. <laughs> um, Kareen immediately is like, we want you! <laughs> Join our baseball team! <laughs> um... And he is caught off guard and then grimaces, but before Kareem can get very far into it, oh, we're from the on high school baseball team, and he's like, no, no, thank you. I, I don't want to play baseball anymore. I'm tired of it. Uh, so, excuse me, I gotta go. Uh, but, and Kareem tries to be like, oh, but we know about you. You're this incredible player, but he's busy with kids. They're like, oh, we want to buy some cards and, and stuff. And he, he just says as he walks off with the little kids, I'm done with baseball. That'd be great and if like a second later turns the kids like we're, we're all to cards. Pokemon cards are really hard to buy right now. <laughs> it's been sold out of everywhere. <laughs> but uh, keep walking with me and uh, I'll pretend to show you where the cards are. <laughs> yeah, he's like, we got a couple packs of uh, the Transformers card game, though. Don't you kids like Transformers? What the hell is that? Just walk to the back with me at this point. I just... Listen, I got I got so many of these. <laughs> I got so much. <laughs> this fucker's made so many of these and promised me it would be a big deal. You could turn tra- transform the cards. It's it's just a stupid gimmick. <laughs> Why are all card games stupid gimmicks? Oh boy. So, the trio walk out, and Korean's like, "Oh man, he refused. What are we gonna do?" But Azu and Ryudo are both like, "Yeah, that guy's lying. He he clearly does want to play baseball." Um, and this is a really nice little detail uh, that we have here because the two of them have come to this conclusion in entirely different ways. Uh, Azu is very observant. He's like, oh, his hands had fresh calluses on them. So that means that he's been getting batting practice in even since he quit. So he's not telling us the whole truth. Uh, and uh, so Kareem's like, oh, wow, that's crazy. And Azu's like, well, I mean, Ryuto noticed too. Ryuto just says, nah. When he heard us mention baseball, I thought I saw his eyes get all sad. So that's why I knew he was lying. So I really like this note of like these two characters that are very observant in entirely different ways. You know, mm-hmm. the brain and the heart uh, kind of thing. So. Exactly. Uh, so then they decide they need to go investigating. Ozzy's come prepared with like all of his <laughs> all of his contact information from throughout his life. And that's when we get the sequence of going around to different people and they have no idea why he quit uh but um yeah also they interview the bunny that he took care of all right so well i also like the interview is elementary school teachers just like oh i remember him i'm like i don't know if this is a wistful old lady thing or a creepy old lady thing let's (laughs) cut to the rabbit and the rabbit's just sitting there munching on some fucking carrots yep that'd be great if the rabbit was just like I can tell you, but it'll cost you something. <laughs> you have to give me something of yours in return for the answer. So eventually they manage to go see, they just kind of randomly stumble across uh, this uh, this uh, kind of uh, middle-aged looking man. We don't actually get like, oh, who is he? Uh, or anything like that. Because he's, he's just a guy who's like out walking a dog and he happens to like pick up one of the papers that Azu had about it. Oh, just me, old man exposition. Out yeah, here like, doing my daily walk. What You youngsters look like you have a question about our strange community here. Perhaps I might be able to enlighten you a little bit. 
Why is there a Southern American guy in Japan? <laughs> Interesting you ask that. You've stumbled, <laughs> you, you stumbled upon one of old man exposition's topics. <laughs> you, could al- you could also ask me about my hat. Speech about the history of how our culture came to this town and our accent came about. And yes, it is unskippable <laughs> and cannot be fast forwarded through. <laughs> Back in 1906. <laughs> After this, ask me why there are no birds in this area. And I have quite a diatribe to tell you about that. Now, I noted that this is an unskippable conversation chain, but... If you hit A at the end, the default option is, do you want me to repeat that? Yes. <laughs> you have to change the option, and that's what gets everyone. <laughs> it's like when I used to try to delete my game in Pokemon, and every time you hit, like, the seven button combinations, the last one was, are you sure you want to delete it? And the default was no, so you immediately hit A because you were skipping all the things, and then you hit no, and you're like, fuck, I had to sit here and tell you about how I definitely want to delete my Pokemon save over and over again. Uh, I, I think that I understand that, though. But yeah. Um, so they say, say the old man's like, we want to know why he quit baiting playing baseball. And the, and the man says, oh, is that all? Uh, we cut to that night or possibly it's just like a little bit later because it was going to be late anyway. And uh, so Yoshitaka is uh, he's doing basically what Azu said. He's going out and swinging the bat a little bit. Uh, but before he can really get any of that in, uh, th- the, the trio approach him and they say, we knew it. We knew you love baseball. And they say, we're sorry to intrude, but we've been investigating you, Sarugi, and we've learned the answer. We know the real reason why you quit baseball. And that's where the chapter ends. Um, so it's an all right beginning. It's, it's not as good as the previous chapters we've had, but I think it's just because we haven't gotten the setup and closure all encapsulated in one chapter in this, so it's like we gotta wait for the for the payoff mm-hmm. this time. Yeah, I, I think there's there's good moments to it. I imagine the answer is not super complicated either. This feels like Musashi, his family doesn't have a lot of money, so he's chosen chosen to put his future in the toy store to take care of his younger siblings, something along those lines, and they're gonna be able to help him out. Something like that. Um but I do really, really like, as you mentioned before, the fact that you know, uh, Ryuda and uh, Azu both pick up on the fact that he does like baseball, but in very different ways. It was a really good character moment, and, uh, you know, just seemed kind of sweet. I also do really appreciate that Tsurugi's design is not what you would think of right away when you're like, oh, the slugger of the team or anything like that, because he's, he's clearly, like, ripped but he's got a very slender build and he's got you know the big eyes as opposed Mm. to really mean eyes so it draws attention to his eyes but in a way that is different than you expect and stuff so yeah i guess it's a really good setup all right uh dr stone 188 not z equals 188 just 188 Mm. what i once sought to destroy so Hyoga and Kohaku and Tsukasa are engaging with the enemy. They are trying to destroy the their uh, radio so that uh, they can't communicate effectively. And uh, that's what they're trying to do. They charge in. There is a kind of silly moment where Hyoga does his spitting spear thing and it causes a guy's gun to spin out of his hands. It's like, all right, sure. Kohaku is like, my back feels warm weird fan service moment in the middle of this combat sequence but eh, 
Boichi's done way more gratuitous, honestly. I don't know if you watch it, the Doctor Stone anime at all, Chris. Uh, no. So the latest episode to come out uh, was um, it's the one where they, you know, do the assault on the cave and then Minami, the reporter lady, goes to uh, try and tell Hyoga and Tsukasa about it, but she gets stopped. When she runs in the anime, her boobs go everywhere. There's boom, boom, boom. <laughs> And it's like, oh my god, <laughs> this is this is what this is the quality we get, I guess, from seeing everything in motion. Just the loving details of her impossible boob physics. Well, so. Nick, this was before bras were invented. There are no bras in the stone world, so where could where could a woman possibly get support? Um, this, Nick, this is a real question. I'm asking. About her, Chris. <laughs> Why is Doctor Stone not invented bras yet? It seems like a real missing issue. Oh, that's a good question. They've got the technology for it. They right? have, but they haven't shown us how to do it. So they've rubber, so they can make elastic. Mm-hmm. So the questions you got to ask. Mm. Also, then of course, just the notion that breasts don't generally, based off your explanation, because I haven't seen it. Breasts usually don't like you know when it's like one of those pervy things. They don't shoot off in like two different directions. <laughs> like they're made of jello. But you know, uh, yeah, I think. Um, I think they should also invent sports bras. Maybe pants, too, in Kohaku's case. I feel bad for her sometimes. <laughs> so, uh, but Kohaku's like, I mean, I've always had to keep my front to my enemy. So my back has always felt cold. I've never ha- had, because, you know, showing your back to an enemy means death. But now, for the first time ever, in my final battle here, things are different. Because she can stand back to back with allies that she knows have her back. It's like that's kind of a it's a nice little detail to to put up there. Um so um sorry, I I am trying to remember her name. Maya. What are you talking he, about, Nick? How can you not remember? She's such an important character. She was a I, MMA world champion before or something. Maya the MMA world champion uses that tried-and-true martial arts attack of throwing a giant log at them. <laughs> and it topples over uh, right onto where Kohaku and Tsukasa and Yoga are, and Tsukasa just catches it with his giant sword thing because, you know, he's a monster, so whatever. So Maya's like, oh, you're that MHM from Japan, I get to kill you, going all out, and she just goes right on him, and she freaking jojo punches him well not punches him she slashes with like her sword or something and sukasa responds by blocking it with one free hand while he holds the log up with the other and he just says i'll give you credit no one has ever pushed me this hard in battle well presumably because no one tried to drop a giant tree on you before (laughs) anyway he punches her and she's defeated (laughs) what an important character um, so Mashal does this all the time, but Mashal doesn't set up a character thirty chapters ahead of time just to be punched out with one hit. Well, Nick, let's recall prior examples of Inagaki's work with characters being introduced that rarely ever pay off. Um, who was the quarterback of the Tekoku Alexanders? Karin. Okay, what did she do? Did she ever do anything? did one pass that was really impressive to Taka. 
Okay. It was a flower that was very easy to catch. There you go. So what did... Uh... Now, if you're asking about <laughs> that rivalry that was set up where the, with the one-on-one matchups where she was stationed against Hiruma, yeah, that didn't go anywhere. <laughs> did she even play defense? Would she ever no. actually interact with him at all? <laughs> no. I mean, Hiruma plays defense, but no, it never came up. No. <laughs> so maybe... And this just might be a wild theory. Maybe Inagaki's not super great at writing certain characters. And sometimes he sets them up and then he just has them get beaten. No one actually, it doesn't matter because they were stupid, pointless characters, I guess. It happens occasionally, especially when you write as many characters as he does. Yeah. Anyway, he beat Maya. Hooray. Uh, oh, he got shot. Because, <laughs> so, all right, everyone's got guns. So uh, Tsukasa falls with blood burning out of his chest from multiple gunshot wounds. And yeah, this is, you know, the conclusion that Tsukasa foresaw. If he allowed science to, you know, run over the world, it doesn't matter how many, how much God-given strength he has, guns will kill him. Uh, and shortly after that, uh, someone else comes up on Kohaku as she's reacting to Tsukasa being shot. They've got a freaking machine gun. And Hyoga steps in the way and takes the shot for her so that uh, she doesn't get hit. And uh, as he's falling, bleeding, Hyoga says, Why are you standing around gawking when you have a job to do? Aku, she's got tears in her eyes, but she regains herself. And she says, All right, no need to tell me twice. And she runs up and leaps up towards their, uh, their communication guy and slices open the transceiver. And... Uh, Stanley, uh, who has, of course, been the one who just shot down uh, Hyoga, says, that's what you were after? Not bad. And then he turns the gun on Kohaku, and we cut to far away as two gunshots ring out. Tsukasa is falling to the ground. He sees the crumpled remains of the transceiver. He's like, they finished the job. I expected nothing less from the two of them. So Hyoga has met his end. Kohaku and I don't have long either. If Senku and the rest manage to recreate a working Medusa, can the healing effects of the revival process even resurrect the dead? It healed Mirai from her comatose state, me from my cold sleep. Perhaps all that matters is the target cellular structure is preserved, in which case... (sighs) But he catches himself at this point, and he realizes, at one point did I entrust my fate to the science of Senku's kingdom. What I once sought to destroy has become a shining star of hope. And there's this big, massive two-page spread of him bleeding, slumped up against the tree that he had been holding up before, looking up at a starry sky. And then on the final two pages, we get mostly another two-page spread as he as light starts to wash over him. And he says, I leave the rest to you, Senku. So there is some very beautiful stuff at the very end of this chapter. Um, I think that the way things play out getting there is mostly just like, this is all right. There's like, there's some good stuff and there's some bad stuff. I don't, I don't like that. Maya is just like, oh yeah, she's got, she's super intimidating and imposing. It's that's, that's it. This is all right. It's fine. Um, at least it was a Stanley though. So that is true. Um, I don't know how to feel about this chapter because I could appreciate sort of the artistic beauty of it in certain ways, like the drama of seeing these characters get shot 
And most of the time, it's kind of done tastefully, particularly with Kohaku. You don't see it. You just kind of zoom away. And I do like the little moment of Tsukasa laying down there being like, man, I can't, you know, I once relied on or once tried to destroy everything about them. And now they're the hope that I have that me and my friends can still be alive. And, you know, there's that. But I just like I so if you never watched Game of Thrones, there was a scene in I think it was like the sixth season uh, where uh, Barristan Selmy and the Grey Worm are like walking through Essos or not Essos, whatever Marine, whatever the city was. And this is where the suddenly the book, like the show deviated from the books completely. And a bunch of characters showed up and like murdered both of them. And I remember Todd in the shadows had a tweet at the time where he's like, both of those characters better be fucking alive. And I had the exact same thought as I read this chapter. Where I was like, all three of these characters better be fucking fine. Like, I don't think any of them are actually dead, but that's the only thought that was in my mind. It's so hard for me to actually appreciate the thought of this scene because I'm just like, if any of these characters are dead, I'm going to be super pissed because i'm like this fucking is not the like everything has just skyrocketed in tension over like ever since uh suika got caught and i understand you 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 place consequences on the fact that like suika saved uh whatever catsuit girl no catsuit girl because of that like real things are going to happen but just one of those things that i'm like it feels like we've amped up the drama so quickly that i don't know how to process it all yeah i i do not believe that they're dead i i i was reading through it and i was like oh this is pretty they're they're alive <laughs> but <laughs> uh um it's not it has been a very specific you know no one dies in dr stone like because if someone dies then that's like you know they failed basically because mm-hmm. it's the goal to save all of humanity in the of how evil anyone is, but they've got to all be saved. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, I was definitely kind of su- su- surprised. It was like, no, oh, no, they just fucking shot all three of them. <laughs> uh, yeah. But um, I do like Sukasa's thing at the end. Um, I'm not sure how exactly how I feel about it's getting there, but I do think that's a very nice thought to leave on. So, all right, Nick, let's move on real quick to Mashal, Magic and Muscles, Chapter 53, Mash Burned Dead, and the Wand of Healing. So, hey, we start with some exposition about 13 ancient wands that are said to exist, and only those with innate talent can pick them and bestow their blessings upon those wielders. Those are called the Master Canes. Presumably, that's what uh, Carpaccio has. Uh, so we pick up, Mash smashes them into the wall, and Mash feels the damage. So yeah, it turns out it's not just damage he does to himself, but all damage that's done to him is reflected back to the people he's fighting. So Mash is just like, I don't really know what that means. And it just keeps trying to punch him, but everything just keeps getting reflected back. So nothing really seems to be working. And Carpaccio basically just brags like, yep, that's why I've never felt pain since I've been born. I, I always have this. I'm blessed. And, you know, I'd like to feel pain, but someone on your level is never going to give me that sensation. So, you know, let's just end this and I'm going to kill you. It turns out Finn, you know, your stupid friend didn't even matter anyway. You know, a person's fate was decided before they're born. You're as useless as Finn, et cetera, et cetera. Um, And hey, you know what, Finn? You're even a disgrace. You're a weakling who needs help. And Mash even says, like, you know, you might have a point about that. (laughs) It's smart to quit if it's just something you can't do. And it's important to reevaluate yourself to know where you stand. From your perspective, Finn, efforts might seem like a pointless struggle and maybe it's pitiful, but despite how scared he was, he was my friend. He stood up against an overwhelmingly powerful opponent and no one laughs at my friend for that. So Mash has uh, basically goes, oda, oda, oda. 
Uh, instead, Hiv is and punches a whole bunch. But he's like, huh, he's, he's damaging me to outpace my healing, but that's not going to work. Uh, I expected more. And then he's like, wait, what, why did my goddess statue get a crack at it? And Mash just basically continues punching through them to the point where he's like, I didn't think the goddess had a limit. This has never happened before. And Mash just punches straight through it and says, now I'm a million times stronger than you. Knowing that, will you stand up against me as bravely as Finn did against you? And that's that's the end of the chapter. I think my favorite part of this chapter is the cool lines that Mash has and, and at the two different points where he's just like, no one laughs at my friend. Mm-hmm. And then he's like, I'm stronger than you. Are you going to stand up against me the way that my friend stood up against you? And it's like, hey, that's cool. Great, great you bookend. Know, it's not to just strength, but character. Yeah. All right. I she triangle chapter 35. Soga and Korogi. Uh, Rayo has transferred into uh, the school. And uh, so she immediately is like cozying up to Nino Kuru because they're childhood friends and they're familiar with each other. And everyone's like, oh, my God, are they going to go out and stuff? Yayoi and Lou come rushing over to Suzu and Matsuri, who are trying to, you know, plan important stuff. And they're like, there's this beautiful girl who transferred and she's childhood friends with Nino Kuru. Aren't you worried, Matsuri? And Matsuri's like, I mean, Suzu and I are childhood friends. What does that matter? And like, well, yeah, but Nino Kuru is a member of the opposite sex. They're going to become a couple. And then you won't be able to talk to him as freely as you've been doing. And Shiragane is there, you know, invisible listening to all this. And he's just like, oh, my God, these fucking horny kids. <laughs> all they care about is this stuff. Um, and Suzu's like, I mean, I don't know if they're definitely going to get together. But sure would be nice if they did. Wouldn't have to worry about, about, about Rayo stealing my man. But... Matsuri doesn't get it. All he hears is like, wait a minute. If Rayo and Neokuru hang out together, I'm not going to be able to talk to my friends as much. And so he gets freaked out about this. And they're like, oh, yeah, that's right, girl. Go get your man. And they and as uh, as he rushes off to go and talk to Neokuru, um, we get some establishment that um, Neokuru and Rayo's fathers are comrades and they were are drinking buddies and stuff so they've been hanging around each other since they were kids and Rayo, of course used ninokuru as a guinea pig for her inventions makes sense uh and now Rayo's like i've got a thing to test on you because of co- fucking of course she does so she's like this is a spooky sticker if you stick it on someone the person will be scared whoever's name is written on the sticker and won't go near them so it's got matsuri's name written on it, and she's like so I wanted you to test this so that, you know, I can use it to, you know, make sure that the guys are trying to pick Matsuri up. It won't work. They'll, they'll, they'll be scared of, uh, of him and, and will run away. So there you go. So, um, Ninokuru gets tricked basically into putting it on his head. Matsuri comes up to the roof at that very moment. Of course, Ninokuru is like, ah, oh, perfect timing, Kazumaki. I, and then of course he gets scared of Matsuri because the sticker starts running away. Matsuri gets really, it's like, no, no, I need to talk to you. I got to talk to you. And uh, they start using Exorcist Ninja art. So Nino Kuro can use the, the Devil Bat Ghost now. <laughs> he ev- evades Matsuri that way. Matsuri uses uh, some wind jutsu to dart over and like bounce off of the air in order to land on top of Nino Kuro. And he delivers this very impassioned speech about, you know, how he wants to keep on being friends with Neokuru, even if Neokuru gets a girlfriend. He still wants to be able to hang out with him and stuff like that. He ends up, of course, delivering this entire speech after landing on top of Neokuru in a position that puts his ass on top of Neokuru's face. So Neokuru can see right up the skirt and see underwear and stuff. 
So whoop a doop a doop a doop. But then we get one last page where Rayo and Nunakuru were talking together, and Rayo's like, oh, Matsuri's so cute. He said that he was worried that you and I would start dating. And Nunakuru's like, well, that's never going to happen. And Rayo's like, you're right. I don't like birds. And you hang around with a bird. Okay. But uh, Rayo's like, this is exciting, isn't it? Childhood friend versus partner versus rival. Who's most important to Matsuri? And Nunakuru's just like, I don't fucking care about that stuff. <laughs> And it's, the consequence of all this is the monster he calls Nino Crew by his first name, Soga, now, which the girls are like, oh, my God. So, yeah. I do like that there is this passion on um, Matsuri's side. Like, I don't want to lose, like, my childhood friend here. Um, also, his only male friend at this yeah. point. So. Um, <laughs> but um, outside of, I guess, some kind of cool action art, this is a chapter that... Uh, exists and that's yeah. about the best i could say to it it uh i think it also kind of really takes a while to get going so it's like yeah that's okay i really do like matsuri's speech it's it's nice to have that we've remarked before about like the heart and the you know bonds between the friends that is exemplified in this despite all of the you know weird fan service stuff so there's some nice stuff in in the series yeah black clover black clover page 284 nick ultimate magic so uh, we're introduced to a dryad who's like hey bad things are gonna happen so i'm gonna teach you all ultimate magic magic at its most distilled form that after six months of training even you that aren't arcane stages can still use it and we see all the characters activated and they're all like true water true lightning true wind true plant true cotton you're like true cotton Uh, also, the other characters who I guess are like whatever the term was, the seven to five generals of the heart. I guess that's who the other characters are. I don't remember. Uh, they all shoot off their ultimate magic, which is basically just a giant beam they use with the rays. They take out a bunch of the low level demons and everyone's like, haha, it succeeded. And then a bunch of mid ranking demons shows up. And then we cut back to the drad who's like, by the way. If you you could take out lower level demons, but mid level demons are gonna be tough even for you guys. They're like, uh oh, big drama. Then uh, luck just shows up and murders them all immediately, uh, and then we cut inside the castle, and the actual like real demons uh, or devils, sorry, uh, have actually like they've 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 murdered Nature Boy Ric Flair. Pretty much. <laughs> that's that's the chapter. I wish we had more time so I could go over how much I hate this. <laughs> uh, there is precisely one moment I like, and it's when the mid right leg demon's like holding his hand out, and he's like, oh, charge my attack. And Luck dashes forward and does like a Sonic the Hedgehog spin and kicks his hand straight up so the blast goes and like misses everybody. I thought that was actually a very cool visual, but um, otherwise... No, I think it was a bad idea to introduce the notion that mid-rank demons are going to be a challenge and then for one character to defeat them all immediately. So it almost makes me question why even put it in that it's a difference, you know, I, 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 maybe these characters will all come back. They all did get unique designs, so who knows? I also think it's super lame to just go like, I'm going to teach you an upgrade. And that's just it. It's like, you're stronger now. Here you go. Fuck you. I hate this. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those ones that's uh, also, a bit also true cotton. True cotton? Cotton so, at its most distilled point, Nick. Different than true plant. It's different. Cotton <laughs> it's, comes from plants. It's a different thing, Nick. True cotton and true plant. They're different. That's why there's a cotton type and a 
grass type in Pokemon. They're two different types. I also. Oh wait, like, no. The all the cotton Pokemon are grass type. Never mind. <laughs> I also like that, uh, as you mentioned, everything just takes the form of like a beam attack. Just a big. Beam. I remember when I was like ten, or even younger, possibly, and as as everyone in our generation was at that age, I was super into Pokemon, and so I just imagined like. Basically, I tried to I tried to think of like triple finish, but I didn't, you know, understand how triple finish would actually work. So I was like, and there's a beam of fire and a beam of water and a beam of vine. (laughs) You're just trying to think of like, how does this type, this elemental type have a beam? Like, oh, a beam of yeah, beam of shit. How does a ground one work? A beam of dirt, (laughs) beam of dirt. Yeah, it's like. (laughs) It doesn't translate all the time. A beam of punches. (laughs) (laughs) It's a a giant fist beam. (laughs) That's why there are different... The reason you play around with different elements in fantasy series like this is so that they each do something different. Not so that they just all go like, it's a laser. (laughs) So this this is lame and it's stupid and it's... But we did... We we did see a cotton laser, so let's all be excited. And I'm sure that everyone liked it, and I'm just a grump. All right. <laughs> One piece. Da, 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 da. I don't have time to put the image up. Chapter 1006. It fucks with me more and more every time we say 1000 at the start of One Piece. Like, I don't know. It just hits me some weeks where I'm just like, fuck, we really... A thousand chapters. All right. It's a really cool uh, two-page color spread at the very beginning of this with Kaido posing with all of his generals and Tobiropo and stuff. It's also break it there. I was gonna say it's. I know it's because he was still part of the Tobiropo, but it is odd that <laughs> X Drake's in there. It seems kind of weird to learn that Queen has blonde hair. Like he doesn't look like he, he should. Oh, there's a lot of people who are upset about some of the colors chosen. People are like, I don't like how, who's who's look, and I was like, oh, I kind of like like the saucy leather red look. It's very, very distinct. I think the only thing that bothers me is that Black Maria has blonde hair. I was like, huh, I really pegged you for black hair, but, you know. At least she wears a black kimono. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I do actually really like uh, Ulti and, uh, is that Page One's? Page One, scheme? yep. Yeah, I think that was cool. <laughs> and, of course, everyone's super disappointed that King is black. I mean, it's like... <laughs> yeah, everyone's like, I, I thought the leather would be uh, magenta. Or yeah, yeah. <laughs> Literally black, not shut up. All right, so um, Momonosuke's group, you know, with with uh, with Yamato and Shinobu, is busting their way through people. Um, I think a spy somehow knows that Momonosuke is with Yamato, even though like they can't literally see him. I think that they can spot him somehow. I don't know how, but they can somehow see that Yamato's body is clinging to... Uh, Momonosuke is, is clinging to Yamato's body. So, alright. Yamato's like, hey, come on this way. And Shinobu's like, can't we, like, be stealth instead? No. So, um, Word goes out that Yamato is with the Konoichi, and Sanji overhears this and is like, oh, they're going after Momo and Shinobu, and someone named Young Master Yamato. And so he grabs someone and is like, which way is the sealed storeroom? And they're like, over there. So Sanji th- is like, okay, if I go that direction, I'll be going the opposite direction of Kinemon's group. Which side needs me more right now? This way or that way? This way. And we don't know which way he's going off in. Mm. Uh, I think it would make sense if he kept going to where Kinemon's group is because no one else 
that is capable of fighting is going there as yeah. far as we know it's all injured people to our knowledge so it would make sense if sanji went that way um but i know that there are some people who are thinking like oh no what if sanji goes and meets yamato and starts hitting on her and he and and yes yamato's a her now and that's like it and that's like oh no like, yeah you could easily say some like girl sensor goes off so i'm hoping it's more so the the notion of like oh wait Kinemon and everyone like that are our friends and have helped me out in my scenario. I should probably go save them. So, although to be uh, fair, yeah. the person I think that's going to kill them is Jack, who could get defeated by a stiff breeze on the way there. So maybe there's not a ton of concern about getting there too quickly. He just takes a quarter a little too quickly in his other tusk. <laughs> oh! oh, my leg! Oh, oh damn you, minx! Oh, I'm an elephant, but somehow I banged my elbow? What the fuck? <laughs> so, we, uh, then cut, Oh, This part made a lot of people sad. <laughs> to Onigashima entrance, where Prospero it is just a bitch. It only makes you sad if you're a simp. Understand that. <laughs> We cut to where to the Onikashima entrance, where Prospero has just finished mopping the floor with Wanda and Carrot, who were unable to maintain their Sulong transformations because the full moon got blotted out by the weather that uh, Kaido struck up. And Prospero is like uh, is bragging about this and mocking them because they're not able to you know be strong with if they've got bad luck with the weather. Carrot feels regret because she was unable to avenge Pedro, her friend and kind of mentor. And uh, Prospero just like grabs her and is like, oh, what do you think it would happen? And you would set up a nice little picnic in the territory of the dreaded Big Mom Pirates. If you didn't want to see your friend die, you feel stay in the forest and nibble at your grass, rabbit. And uh, he just throws her to the ground and walks off and uh, says that... Uh, it's time to show these children what the Emperors of the Sea are all about. So, seems that Prospero is on his way to a different part of the battle. Mo more moving pieces. So, We uh, cut to then the Performance Manor Hall. Uh, and uh, everyone who's been fighting the Ice Oni infection thing is starting to run out of, out of uh, stamina. Which, and, which means that they're running out of energy to keep moving and prevent the ice from spreading they're like, come on, you keep it up. We stop it. And they're like, Apu, come on. <laughs> we got to get the antibodies. We're going to die. Um, and uh, then we cut to where, to X-Drake, super great ally X-Drake, who is fighting alongside Hyogoro the flower, who has somehow regained his like prime of youth, which everyone's like, how did that happen? And they're like, he just says, shivers of excitement. It seems that coming into contact with that virus has extracted all the strength I have to the limit of my life. It may be burning the last remnants of my body for fuel, but I'll use this strength to cut down all of their main force. All right, sure. It's so he can seem like he's going to die here, and then afterwards seem like he's going to die because he's reached the, the end of his life. It's burned up everything. And then it's probably so it can look like he gets killed because, like, I don't know, a fucking, like, anvil will crush his head and then bury him beneath the ocean. 
so that then we can get a cover page two years from now that shows he's fine <laughs> and he now owns like a bodega in the middle of onigashima or some shit like that that is how one piece do yes so unless you get a hand stuck through your chest you don't die basically yeah i was gonna say i guess if your heart literally explodes then you're 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 gone but otherwise you're pretty you're pretty screwed but uh hyogro warns everyone and says hey if that raccoon dog, Chopper, can't finish the medicine in time and I begin to transform into an Isoni, I want you to put an end to me before I turn. If you don't, I will go on to slay every last person here, friend or foe, including you. Everyone's like, I don't know if we can do that. But other people are like, yeah, if he turns into an Isoni, we can't stop him. So, yes, let's let's listen to him. Um, One of the lieutenants or generals or whatever that was introduced a long time ago, but has not done anything at all. Mimo Wari Gumi or whatever is like, all right, let's see what you can do, old man. And he'll grow. He knocks three of them down in one sword strike. So yeah, shouldn't have fucked with that. Uh, he'll grow thinks to himself as he engages in the battle that thinking towards the departed. And there are times I think about what would have happened if I had challenged Kaido with you at the peak of my strength. But just look what your followers have done. They've pulled this right off in your name. And I, too, have gained a most fascinating apprentice, referring to Luffy. So he has no doubt Dawn will come to Wano. Queen sees that Hyogoro is going on a rampage and decides to stop him with a, a laser cannon. Uh, he just shoots lasers from his mouth. Cool. There's, I believe there's been some implications or teases that Queen might have, like cyborg elements to them mm-hmm. which definitely seems to be the case or maybe dinosaurs just shoot beams i don't know we don't know they didn't <laughs> I, I was going with the idea one piece sometimes does weird things but it is also just as interesting to be like were you there how do you know dinosaurs didn't shoot laser beams hmm hmm i don't so uh yeah anyway <laughs> So his Brontosaurus, Brachiosaurus, whatever form, shoots a laser beam like they did. Uh, but uh, before he can actually get it off, Marco strikes him with a fireball because he's still fighting Queen and King at this moment. Queen turns his attention to Marco, shoots his laser at him instead, uh, doesn't do anything. King tries to chop Marco's wing off, whatever. It's a wing made of fire. What's that going to do? Um, he then shoot like makes a gesture with his with his finger and I believe what happens is the f- the wing bursts into fire after it's fallen off, and he just directs the fire over towards King. I, I think that's what happens. It's a little hard to follow, and it's, I'm sure that when it gets animated, it'll look yeah. easier. But, uh, but uh, he shoots a big old fireball at, at King, knocks him to the ground, then comes comes in with a King Kong knee drop, Uh also, Queen's been knocked over by stuff. Uh, he gets hit by, with one of Marco's talons after he comes soaring in like that. And Marco mentions, holding off two guys worth over a billion at once is kind of rough, so hurry up, raccoon dog. Well, I mean, you, you're doing it, so yeah. you don't complain so much. You're super strong. Queen and King are, are frustrated, but they're not down for the count yet. Prospero shows up and he's like, oh, Marco's over there. And he fucking exhausted to me. So uh, that's where Prospero went. That took a while to find out. But unfortunately, uh, time's up, basically, for the Isoni. 
uh, infected people. Kyogro is sitting down and allowing people to chop his head off because this is the last chance before he goes on a berserker rampage and kills everyone. And as he prepares to die, he thinks to himself, I leave the rest in your hands. Here ends the life of Kyogro the flower with no regrets. And that's the end of the chapter. Yeah, it's a decent chapter. We get, you know, it's still very chaotic One Piece time where there's like 14 elements all moving about. But, you know, it's still pretty good. I like showing that, like, because it was a wonder, like, where the fuck are king and queen during all of this? And it's like, oh, mm. Marco's holding them off in the central chamber. That's why they haven't gotten involved in anything. And no fights have been teased yet because there's too many moving elements right now. I'm presuming Marco's about to, you know, get crushed because fighting two of them and then presumably Paro Sparrow getting involved as well might make things difficult. It was an all right chapter. Mm-hmm. Um, that's about all I have to say about it. Uh, the carrot for straw hat crew, I believe was mourning a loss when this chapter came out, uh, which admittedly, yeah, if I, it seems as though if you're introducing a character and they just get their asses kicked, then it's like, Oh, off screen. Oh, Maybe not gonna be joining the main characters on their voyage if they can't hold their own against an opponent. I know Prospero is very strong, but uh, Carrot was very much treated as inconsequential uh, with that defeat. So. There's a small thing of like, well, maybe things would have been different if the clouds hadn't covered up the moon. Like, mm-hmm. she still had her Su Long form, but Carrot's not joining. I. I... I, I want to make, like, a big declaration of, like, Carrot's not going to join the Strats, because if she does, I'll, like, dye my hair orange or some shit like that. But I'm just like, mm, mm, what if? What if? And and then, like, she'll join the, the, the Straw Hat fleet or something. Well, that's so the thing. That, I was going to say, if if she joins, I, I, I fully expect for her to join the Straw Hat Grand Alliance. But I don't know. The actual regular Straw Hats? No. Not, I feel like there's not a chance. Mm. So that is uh, that is it for manga this week, guys. So uh, we want to thank you for joining us. Let's name our favorites this week. Favorite series and MVP. Uh, my MVP is Ruru from uh, uh, Magu-chan. Magu. Remember the name of it. Uh, I'm going to come back to chapter of the week because I have to think about it. I understand. Yeah, um, I'm not sure if I want to... I think it's got to be Ruru because what her influence on that chapter completely turns it around. Mm-hmm. So I, and you know, it's, it's very much her just kind of staying true to her, to her, to her character, but it's done in a way that's really endearing. And I love the way that she's drawn during it. I, Oh, chapter of the week is kind of tough because there were a lot of interesting chapters to talk about this week in different ways, but in terms of like just a really good chapter, it's very slim pickings. It feels like I think I know um, what mine is. Okay, go ahead. You go I, first. I, I think I'm going to give it to Kaiju number eight because if I think about the chapter that got me the most excited, that was probably it. Like everything else, I'm like I'm interested in next week, but that was probably the one that had like the coolest moments for me. I think you're right. I think that that's going to be it for me too. Because when I think about the way that that chapter goes down. Like I mentioned earlier in the episode, that moment when the kaiju's eyes open up, mm-hmm. it's such a big, sh- it's such a like, oh, he's fucked kind of moment. And I think that the chapter delivers in that regard. Like, okay, this is where Hoshina suddenly no longer has the advantage 
but it's cool seeing it go from he's kicked this thing's ass to oh he's getting his ass kicked so and i think that you know kaiju number eight probably from the way that we think about you know what gets the chapter of the week benefits from having a very quick action uh action-packed pace to it chapter to chapter um but gotta go with what you really believe so yeah. Uh, the audience, by the way, uh, picked Dr. Stone and Spy Family as their chapter of the week. Mm. And there's a tie for or a tie for character of the week as well between Anya and Mash. It actually was a three-way tie before, and I, I saw earlier it was Anya, Mash, and Tsukasa. But it looks like uh, somebody put a vote in, or a couple of people asked to put a vote in the other way to, to give them the lead. I understand that. I mean, you know, the, all the stuff that got named, those, those were good, at least decent chapters. And uh, yeah. For the reasons that the characters were, yeah. Okay. That's going to do it for the Kamaga Recap. But before we go, everyone, uh, I have a recommendation prepared this time. No, None of this. Nick, what is it? I don't know. I forgot. I'll tell you next week. Uh, this is going to be a quick uh, series that has been recommended to us that is available on Manga Plus uh, called Curtains Up, I'm Off by Akitaka Imakoshi. It's about... Just like I predicted before this episode began that I told Nick privately. Yes. And so... certainly not the Seven Deadly Sins sequel. <laughs> so, uh, we will read that for... Uh, for it, It's only 26 chapters, so maybe we'll get it done uh, for next week. But uh, it shouldn't take us as long as it took to prepare for Kaguya Summer. Yes. We won't... We want to thank you guys for joining us here on the show, which we record on twitch.tv slash RoloT Wednesdays around 7.30 to 8 Eastern time. Uh, but in order to stay updated on exactly when we begin recording the show, and so you can join us for the live recording, you can follow us on social media at WMR Podcast, at RoloT, at NickFTime are our Twitter accounts. You can also check out our past episodes on weeklymagarecap.podbean.com and iTunes and wherever you know podcast outlets are out there. And of course... We're back on YouTube, baby. Yeah, they couldn't they couldn't keep us off there for too long. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what happened. Yes. (laughs) Be sure to check out uh, the Discord channel uh, for Weekly Manga Recap. We have a great community that uh, does all sorts of cool stuff, discusses the recommendation we're going over, discusses the chapters of the series that we regularly cover as they come out. Uh, and has a weekly Among Us games on Saturday mornings. It's fun stuff. And you can use that to also find the Google Doc that is maintained by Ninja X3i, which keeps track of all sorts of stuff associated with the podcast, statistics, uh, recommendations we've done in the past, and all kinds of stuff like that. We uh, also want to extend special thanks to our supporters on Patreon. Your support allows us to create fun bonus content for you guys to enjoy. To Steve Manor, Tyler Canaris, you can check out his artwork wherever boobs are allowed to be drawn on the internet. And to Milo Jack Stilitz and Winsdale Cheddar for creating the opening sequence of uh, Weekly Manga Recap. Yes, indeed. All right. Is that that's going to do it? Let's head off out. Yes. Let's head in, out, off. Let's Away. head preposition. Yeah. Yeah.